Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it with, you made it with, you made it with. What's happening, weirdos? A wonderful dream come true episode with Larry Charles, just an incredible comedy legend, writer for Seinfeld, uh, director of Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, religious, Borat, Bruno, just incredible. I was so glad that he came in and took the time to do the episode. So let this get, uh, let's get into it right away. Get this uh, top stuff out of the way. If you want to come see me live, PeteHolmes.com has just been updated with all my new tour dates. We got Chicago coming up. We got Bloomington, Indiana coming up. New York, Boston, lot DC, lots of good stuff coming up. So go to PeteHolmes.com if you would like to check me out on the road. I always appreciate when weirdos come out. And this uh, this episode, like so many episodes, has been brought to you by uh, Squarespace.com, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy for you to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. And as a, pro- a special promotion for the You Made It Weird audience, Squarespace is giving away a full year of its most premium-level service uh, that's valued at over $288 to a randomly selected listener. Just tweet... Better websites for all with the hashtag Squarespace Weird to be considered. Uh, considered. Uh, considered. If you currently, oh God. If you currently have a Squarespace site, then post your site URL too, and we might talk about it in a future episode. Squarespace has been around for over 10 years, and they are constantly improving their platform with new features, new designs, and even better support. They have beautiful designs for you to start with, and they have a ton of style options so you can create a unique website for you or your business. They released 20 new customizable templates this past year, and every design automatically includes a mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website so your content looks great on every device every single time and that's it get into it squarespace the thing that i like about it is you don't need to know html to make a wonderful beautiful looking website that looks great on any device so start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website when you decide to sign up for squarespace make sure to use the offer code weird to get 10 percent off and show your support for you made it weird thank you squarespace for your support squarespace everything you need to create an exceptional website that's it, everybody. Hope to see you out on the road. Go to uh, PeteHolmes.com, and thank you, Squarespace, for the sponsorship. Enjoy the incredible Larry Charles. Get into it. Hi, Larry. Come on in. Wow. This is your seat. This is your seat in our kind of thrown-together studio. Nice to, to see, see you. you. How are you? How's it going? Uh, it's going very well. Pleased to be here. Are we going? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Uh, okay. Here, throw these on if you want. Okay, sure. <laughs> I like to be able to hear my own voice. Is that? We'll see how distracting that is for me. Is it distracting? Well, I could, I could, I could get very self-conscious about my voice after a certain point. It's a good voice. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> yes. it's, what? What, it's it's what I have. It's what I have to work with. You know how it works. Uh, do you feel that your voice changed? I listened to like uh, old stand-up of me when I was like twenty-two or whatever. I'm thirty-five now, and I look at it, and I'm like. I've adapted. You talk about like regional accents and yes, stuff. Yes, yes. But there's also just like comedy accents. Oh, absolutely. And well, I'm from bleeds. Brooklyn also. And I and so um you know, when I when I th- hear my own voice, I think, "Oh my god, I've completely lost 
my Brooklyn accent. My brother sounds like Tony Soprano. <laughs> he's, he's, he's still talking. You know, he still talks like, hey, what? You're, Gary you're, Cooper. Yeah, very, 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 very kind of like that, you know. And, uh, and, and I hear echoes of that in my own voice occasionally. Yeah. But essentially, it's been very flattened out by California. Yeah. And all the exposure to that. You know? Right, so, sure, sure. Yeah. Do you, did you do stand-up? Do you do stand-up? I'm a, sorry, I don't know I that. Don't, I don't do stand-up. I ha- I, when I first came out here, I did a lot of stand-up. In fact, hmm. what I was just thinking about this the other day. What passed for an alt-comedy scene... That's what I was in at the time, because that was the late 70s. Yeah. So the big place was the comedy store, and you had Richard Pryor, Robin Williams, and yeah. all the David Letterman and Jay Leno were considered the two top comics. I know. Competing with each other. I and I used to stand outside of the, the comedy store. This is before the improv even opened. Yes. And sell jokes. Uh, I had sold like... <laughs> no, you didn't. I used to sell drugs in New York, and that's all I really knew how to do. <laughs> and so I'd write jokes. I was, I was a parking valet, and i go after my shift... I go to the to the comedy store. If I saw a comic I recognized, I'd say, you want to buy a joke? No. Uh, absolutely. He thought you and, said Coke, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I wish I had known. I would have made a lot more money from Coke, because they would only pay me $10 on consignment. They would have to, like Jay Leno. Would read the joke. They'd read the joke. They'd go, oh, this, if this works, I'll give you 10 bucks. Oh, only based on it only working? based on whether it works. Nah, or it's uh, a joke before it gets a laugh. I believe joke <laughs> begins at conception. I had no, I had. Well, you may be right. I may agree with that philosophically. Yeah, but I, I had no bargaining position. Of I course. had no leverage. You know, <laughs> so I would watch through the window. I'd watch Jay Leno do a joke of mine, get a laugh. I knew I made ten bucks. No. Yeah, yeah. And then one of those, one of those comedians, a guy named Daryl Igus, uh-huh. who was in Car Wash. He um he, he bought my started buying my material and then he got on the show called Fridays yeah and recommended me for the show that you just answered my question I knew you wrote on Fridays <laughs> Can I take one of these please those are for you I'll take, a small take the one. little ones the and little then one. work up to the big yeah, ones. yeah 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 that's exactly. what I said don't drink more yeah, than you can no, handle start slowly of course <laughs> of course first of all I can't believe that I love stories of how this is not like a how this is not an anything podcast right, we just talk about whatever yeah, yeah but I do like those stories because I, I'm sure you still get people going like you look at that entry point into show business and here you are valet and yeah, then suddenly you're well, writing i found that once i was with what would be considered a peer group like on a writing staff or something you re- you realize that every single person although winding up in the same place yeah had gotten there through a different absolutely route and they're all fascinating in their own weird way right you know? everybody has a unique story it's like the, it's like a pregnancy everybody's got a, a unique pregnancy <laughs> it all get- winds up with a baby, hopefully, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. or in, a in baby a named world, in some version of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your uh-huh. pregnancy story was that you were hanging out with Jay Leno in parking lots. <laughs> I, I didn't even have a relationship with him really, except yeah. this transactional thing where he would give me the ten bucks. But there's a lot of guys at that time, most who were not in show business anymore. Yep, who were very popular at the time. If Isn't you can believe crazy? it, on the Tonight Show, guys like Tom Dreesen. Yep, Joe Restivo. Uh, Tom Dreesen was like was on the late uh, Tonight Show like forty. Oh times my or god, very very popular. And by the way, a fantastic guy, and led the strike, and opened for Sinatra, and did like that yeah, whole world yeah. for a long time, which was the gig. I'm afraid which, of that world, by the way. You know what? I don't. Does that world even exist anymore? I, I mean, think... that seems like a relic of that time when you had the big yeah. Sinatra-like singer, and his guy was Tom Dreesen. Right. And he would go. He was his go-to guy. Right. And then he would open in Tahoe and Reno and Vegas, wherever they went. But that know? circuit, like the casino circuit, where I think it, in yes. the '70s it did seem like, oh, Dreesen's playing Vegas. I'm like, I'm. <laughs> 
I'm afraid of Vegas. Who are these people? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. who are you guys? Yeah, yeah. Nowadays, the premium, I think, is on relevance. Like, I'm relevant. I yes. play New York and right, Chicago right. and Seattle. No, and it you seems like the, the comedy scene, the comedy scene in Vegas seems very... <laughs> it's um, a buffet. Well, right, but it's also got quotes around it. It's like, because it, it's sort of like, it's guys with like gimmicky yeah. sort of acts sure. wind up in Vegas because you have to kind of compete with the magicians. That's right. And the big, the big shows, the right. Cirque du Soleil shows. That's right. So you have like prop comics and right. impressionist, singing impressionist, yep. ventriloquists, the puppets. And, a a good, puppets. and that's a good show. <laughs> I've never seen any of them, actually. I bet I have to them. imagine for them it's a good show. I, I'm not saying I'm such a snob that I couldn't enjoy a good ventriloquist. There might be a part of me that would have a hard well, time. Well, there's with also, it. of course, the camp element of it. When I, again, when I first moved out here, it was very, it was like a cool pilgrimage to go to Vegas to see uh, Wayne Newton. <laughs> You know, yeah. Everybody would go to see Wayne Newton, so they can basically, you know, laugh at it. Ultimately. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. you know, the guy wound up, you know, surviving all these years. Also, so yeah. there's like it's a duality. As I get older, I begin to appreciate your campy Wayne appreci- Newton's, yes. you know, his idiosyncratic presentation. Yeah, he's that he could work all these years. That's something to respect. He'll him, take you know? it. He yeah. coasted on your yeah. campy appreciation, your campy ticket, your ironic ticket That's purchase. Right. That's right. That was his methadone. That he exactly. And now and he's he, still back. He thrived. He thr- Thrived on it and, thrived. and survived. You know, I think I have to imagine that uh, somebody like Carrot Top might get some ironic people coming, and who gives a shit? Yes, and they might leave uh, fans. I don't know. No, that's another kind of act that I haven't the, seen. The, the, at that time, there was still a lot. There was there was a lot of acts that really were influenced by that generation before, and and mainly like like sort of even immigration waves of works like this. Those people basically died out. Yeah. You know, essentially all those acts, if you ever look at those old signs yeah. of the old hotels in Vegas mm-hmm. and the acts, Lola Falana, and all the, you know, it's like... <laughs> that's, if that's a pretend name, that's a great that, pretend no, name. No, it's just... It's, <laughs> you know, Lola Falana. Lola Falana was... <laughs> Lola like Falana a, was a very a sleek, dish. Uh, a feline... Um, singer dancer, and um, like almost like a female Sammy Davis. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. and she would wear like a black leotard. She was really, really sexy. The big afro in the seventies. Yeah, because that was a very popular look. Uh, you know, like the Foxy Brown. Yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah. You know, Pam Greer sort of look. Yeah, and uh, and she was a singer dancer. She was very popular. But that's what I'm saying. You don't see that. Like I guess it's morphed into a what do we do Beyonce kind. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what that has become. But a lot of it is just gone. Yeah, like that whole. Tradition has sort of died out. It fell into a crevice, and then the other side, something else crawled out. But you know? I think there's something. What you're saying is, I'm a little hesitant to admit this, but sometimes I just text. <laughs> I text names of people. It's not with any commentary. Mm-hmm. I will just text a guy. I came Kumail. We started on the same night okay, in sure. Chicago. Kumail and I will just text a name from the past. Yes. It's not to shit on those people. I no. swear to God, it's not. It's just to go. Remember? Well, it's uh, there's it, so many of us. When you when you text a name like that, to me, what you do, it's got multiple layers. Yeah, it's a code. <laughs> it's a code. It, it taps into so many different things inside of you. Because yes, on one level, it, you, you may be looking at it with some with some satire, with some derision, with a certain kind of comedy about it. But also, it strikes a chord within you, and that's why it's stuck with you, and that's why it's a shared reference. Right. It has some resonance. Right. Also. Right. It's enough resonance to make you have all these different thoughts about it. <laughs> That's right. So it's not it's not for nothing. Yeah. It has some value. It's you know? rich. It's a yeah. type of uh it's not a drug, but it has like a chemical Who, response. What's a recent name that you've texted? Oh, I oh I feel so bad if it gets back to them. <laughs> there was a guy and it was I think it was his stage name, Matthew Bible. 
That's just a funny name. I never heard of him. He was an open mic guy. He should have worked with Lola Falana. You know he was opening for Lola, last I heard. She was a a perpetual opening act. She rarely was the headliner. Mm. She would headline smaller venues, you know. But in Vegas, she would like open for the bit like a Don Rickles or something like that. Right, right, right. If it was a comedy main uh, stage guy... He would have a singer or or some or a dancer type person. So interesting for them, yeah. old showbiz. Yeah. And a guy like Don Rickles, by the way, check this out. You see, and a lot of these guys did that. They traveled with an orchestra. Yeah, like what the? It, I don't know if I can curse or not. You can. What the fuck does Don Rickles do in orchestra? <laughs> Who <laughs> was like that was a great show, great orchestra. Yeah, yeah, I really he, like he that. Had an orchestra leader. Yeah, he was with him for like twenty five years. Did he make sure like there's this one's a Jew, this one's a fat I don't guy, know. I don't this know one's a comb over? Quotas. I, am, I, I know there were no Palestinians <laughs> on the, the back. <laughs> yeah, no I need Arabs. to be able to make fun of you if you're going to yeah, be on yeah. the bus if yeah. it's a slow night. I have to turn around and go. Did the black guy hear me? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, boy, I had like nine things to ask you. Now that there's a lull, I don't know any of them. Oh, that's too bad. Here's the thing. Uh, what is it about you? So you're coming up through the 70s. What, what yes. came to mind is this wealth of people yes. that aren't doing it anymore. Not just Lolo, yes. Ferrano. Yeah, like, no, no. Some of them are dead, but a lot of people, you know, it's it's this is like the sort of the, 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 the reality. This is like sort of the truth behind all of the, the illusion of life itself, but certainly show business, mm-hmm. which is that... It is brutal. The truth is it's brutal, you know, unforgiving mm-hmm. business that will spit you out like a, like football spits out, you know, its players. It's the same thing. There are so many people. When I first moved out here. Like you got an injury. You hurt your knee. <laughs> like you, you told a bad well, joke. Well, you, you, you may have gotten old. You may have been yeah. in too many failures. You yeah. know, whatever it is, you are being judged constantly. Your box and, office poison. Yes. Yeah. For whatever. And even if you ever reach a point where you were box office. Right. Gold, you then become box office. Right. It's inevitable. Right. We're all going to die. You know what I right, mean? Right, right. Like it goes downhill, you know, eventually. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's like uh, um, all, uh, entropy takes over, essentially. <laughs> you can't fight entropy. Right. We're all battling entropy, you know, and we're going to lose, lose that battle, you know. Right. And that's how should, when I first moved out here, I lived in Hollywood. I lived down the street from the Chinese Theater, in fact, in an in a apartment that had a Murphy bed. You know, it was like wow. that kind of old place. Wow. And, You'd walk down Hollywood Boulevard. It's like the Kinks song. I don't know if you know this song by the Kinks called Celluloid Heroes. It's a great song. Um, <laughs> but he, they reference all kinds of like old stars who, who died or you know fell apart. Or oh, whatever. my God. Whoa. And, and you would walk down Hollywood Boulevard for real or, or you know, Hollywood Boulevard even as you went down towards Fairfax. <clears> and <throat> I used to see Hunts Hall, who was a guy that was the co-star of probably 50, 70 movies called The Bowery Boys, where he was like a... Um, he was like a major star. Like when I was a kid, his movies were on TV all the time. People yes. knew him. And here he was just kind of staggering down Hollywood Ooh. Boulevard, forgotten. Or when I moved here, Schwab's was still open. Schwab's. Schwab's Drugstore, yeah, which yeah, was yeah. a famous landmark of Hollywood in the 40s. But now it, was, it finally got torn down. It was on Crescent Heights. It, it, would, it was a, a luncheonette. Okay, so it was a drugstore with like a counter and booths. Yeah. You know, that kind of old thing. And Lana Turner had been discovered there. But by the time I got there in the late 70s, it was all broken down character actors looking for work. And it was it was fascinating because you go, yeah. that guy was in that guy was in Get Smart. Or he yeah. was in, you know, you'd see all these people for real. Right. But you also saw behind the facade right. that they were all struggling, looking for work. Right. Breaking down. 
looking like shit, you right. know, basically not like, you know, all quaffed and made up. That's right. But, uh, you know, like problematic people. And, and a lot of those people fall by the wayside very quickly. Right. I, I think I said this recently. I wonder if that's why we get so sad celebrities die. Like, mm. they're supposed to be our, our betters. Like, uh, I don't even want to say a name because I, I – anyway – Robin Williams died the same week we were playing a game like, who's going to die first? And then he yes, died. And yes. we were like, well, I'm going to stop playing that game. Well, right. It's, it's, <laughs> at a certain point in your life, it's, it, you'll, you cross that meridian where right. we're suddenly like – and I, look, I still am, have a very dark sense of humor and make fun of death all the time. It's right. kind of like a defense. Right. Again, but, but my own mortality is a horrifying yep. reality. Right. You know? So I, I have a little bit more of a complicated relationship with it than I used but to. But I think there's something yeah. interesting that you said about like show business being this kind of play of death. It's like yes. you lose in the end. Yes. When I see a billboard for a new show – and for some reason, it's always Scorpion. There's a show coming out called <laughs> yeah, Scorpion. Yes, I've seen the billboard. The billboard. I don't Absolutely. know. I've seen the commercials even. Oh, I haven't seen the commercials. Uh, the commercial is very, you know, it's almost like a parody. It's like a parody of a TV show. You can see. Is it really? It's like a, the commercial is. Uh-huh. I haven't seen the show. Oh wait, intentionally like, or on? No, no, not intentionally. <laughs> no, not intentionally. I thought at you were all. telling no. me it's doing something amazing. No, you can see like the Saturday Night Live cast. Yeah. In a in a kind of a fake promo that that's just, right. just look just like. That. It's so funny that you say yeah. that because that's what the billboard looks like. Exactly. To me. You have same. a guy yeah. on a yeah. chalkboard doing yeah. math. I'm like, he's the fat smart one. It, you know what I mean? Resemb- I'm not saying it's about you. I don't know. Yeah. If it's if it resembles something. That's like something else. That seems to be enough to get people to watch it. That's I guess, right. You know? Yeah, it makes you think it might be it's like something else. It's better that it's not original. It's better that it reminds you of something else. That's right. It's easier for you to sort of access it. Right. You know. Yeah, and we you know. Don't work so hard to meet new characters. Right. Take old characters and just put them in this new thing called Scorpion and you have it. <laughs> You That's hopefully have a hit. That's but you don't, you don't even necessarily have a hit, <laughs> No, no. You don't. No, a lot of things fall by the wayside. Why? Why, why does Scorpion succeed where another thing that's doing the same thing? It makes no sense. Know, why did Seinfeld understand. succeed? Your show was like the go-to, remains the go-to. How many years later, it's still the go-to for like, you got to give it a chance. And well, you were there on the first season. Seinfeld succeeded, I believe, ultimately. There was a lot of factors which I'm happy to talk about, but the first factor and the most important factor and still remains the most important factor is that it actually delivered laughs. Mm. It was a comedy that was actually funny. Uh, <laughs> and and that, seems, that seems obvious, doesn't it? But yeah. the truth is it was, there was a sea of comedies at that time yes. that were amusing, that were humorous. Right. That were okay. They're kind of tickling you with a feather. Yes, very, very mild, safe. Right. And suddenly we burst forth with actual laughter. You would actually laugh at because the of show. The, because of the situations, wouldn't you say? Well, I think it was a combination of things, yeah. you know. But to go back from there, you have to remember that uh, Larry had made a pilot. It sat around for like a year. Hmm. Then they, and this was during the, uh, the Brandon Tartikoff era of uh, NBC. It was originally designed for late night. Saturday Night Live was supposed to do like three shows a month, and then they would do like a special once a month. Hmm. Like Richard Lewis had done one called Diary of a Young Comic, okay, which was kind of like a ninety-minute movie about his life, you know. Oh. Oh, and like they were doing these experimental things, and the Seinfeld Chronicles was supposed to be in that time slot, like a 90-minute special where you see how Jerry 
comes up with his material, and then you see the material. Uh-huh. You know? That was the concept behind it. And then it sort of turned into this thing with Larry, <laughs> right. and it sat for a long time, this half-hour pilot. And then they picked it up for, after a year, and they did, I guess, three or four episodes at that point. Yeah. And Larry asked me to work on the show, and I'd read those original scripts, and they were amazing. Yeah. Uh, really, really super funny beyond anything I had seen. They were like, wow, this is so original, so bracing. Yeah. You know, it was like... it was. Do you remember uh, what it was? What was it that made the, it seem? so bracing well i always larry and i are from the same neighborhood we have a, a, a kind of an incredible history also yeah i have always found him his voice just to be super funny to me yeah, and yeah, i yeah. almost don't question why yeah it's a very instinctive thing yeah but his voice makes me laugh his his writing his performing right he, there's something about his rhythm <laughs> i agree that just kind of you know gets i'm just in, thinking about it yeah right like, it's funny <laughs> he's just like a funny guy he's a super funny guy right that's <laughs> You know, and really uncompromising, a very, yeah. very uncompromising person, a real role model for me, a real mentor for me. You yeah. Know? Um, and he all, and he's like the kind of guy, I compare him to Bob Dylan also, yeah. who I work with. Yeah, you work with him. Who, they'd be sitting out on Sunset at a bus stop doing the same thing. Like, they don't, they never have cared about commercial success or pleasing people. This it. is what they do. They're like savants. Yeah. You know, both of those guys are like savants. This is what they do. They really can't do anything else. If you like it, fine. If you don't right. like it, I, I, I'll right. just do it out there. You right, know? right, right. So there's something very beautiful about, about that. that. You know? There's something about when people start to make it. I actually thought about this when I was on your show, which is called The Comedians. The Comedians. Yeah, I didn't want to get it wrong. And That's I was okay. So Don't worry. still worried for a moment. But when I was on the show, I remember like when people get a show sometimes, there's something that either it flares up inside of them and it's not necessarily a good thing, but there's something that happens to your ego where you walk a little bit Absolutely. broader, shouldered. Yeah. I'm not talking about Billy Crystal or any of the leads. Right. It just made me think of it when I was there. Yeah, yeah. I was like... Yesterday you were a schlub at the yeah, diner, yeah, yeah, at Schwab's, yes, the modern yes. Schwab's, hoping for a job. Then you get the job, yes, and then you're 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 puffed up, yes, and you're like, I'm a guy, yeah. And when I hear you say that uh, Larry David and Bobby Day don't do that, right, right, I love it. Yeah, well, I think because that was, fuck that shit. That was the blessing of the, the Seinfeld <laughs> cast. Also, very grounded people. You know, Julia and Jason are also very very grounded people. You right. did not have. There were no ego issues oh, on Seinfeld, everything. you know. Yes. But again, like I was saying, it was meant to be a late night show. It struggled. It did. They did the pilot. Then a year later, did the other three or four shows, whatever it was. Mm. Uh, it was. It was on the bubble. NBC for some reason was in last place at that time. Mm-hmm. They didn't have anything better. To put on the air. It's funny that that's a consideration. If Absolutely. they had something in the barrel. Yes, the, it could have easily been sliced apart. <laughs> oh, and that God. would have been the end of it right yes. there. It would have been aborted after three or four episodes. Yes. And it was very close to that happening. But instead, they wound up picking it up for another 13. So you're talking about like two or three years yeah. in which they we have there hasn't even been a full season. Right. You know? Over the course of two or three years, there has not been a full season Just of shows. Just no man's land. Right. So, <laughs> so exactly. And, and alone. And, right. And on Wednesday, and finally they pick it up for 13. We go on, and then um, Larry can finally hire me. And we do, we go on Wednesday nights against Jake and the Fat Man, and he's kicking our ass. 
We are losing. We are like coming in like fifty eighth place in the ratings. To the fat man. To the Jake and the <laughs> Jake and the fat man was a hit, man. People love that. That's what I mean. It's like it's the last of those kind of shows. You yes. don't see Jake and the fat man. No, anymore. you don't. You know, a guy He's, like William yeah. Conrad, he'd have a hard time being a star today. But right. in those days, were still older people watching these shows, so they like seeing kind of a portly guy with no hair running around shooting people. You yeah, know, because yeah. they was like, yeah, I remember him from radio. You know, there was a lot of that also. He was he was on the radio. It was very popular. That's what he looks like. Yeah, that exactly. Constitutes that for thirty percent of the tuning yes, in. People tune in each week. Just go, oh my god! I never imagined him with that voice. I thought he'd be handsome. This this is not him. That can't be him. That's that can't ADR. be him. When That's they bring you up, he's going to come on later in the show. <laughs> so you, you get the thirteen, and then you come in. Yes, yeah, so I come in for the thirteen, and you're getting your ass kicked by the fat man and right. Jake. But to be honest, what, you know what, Larry Davis said to me, and, and, and Jerry was. It was really kind of like a very small little group at that time, which is also one of the inadvertent beauties of of that experience, and also one of the inadvertent reasons. That it became the show it became. It was not we. It was not done like a sitcom of that era. Yes, we had no knowledge of sitcoms or how sitcoms worked, and so we. Larry, the first thing he said to me is, "You know, we'll do thirteen episodes. We'll make a little money. It'll get canceled. We'll move on." Yeah, it's like okay, fine. So we thought, "Fuck it," you know. Then you did and eighty just, episode, made a lot of money. <laughs> well, we just wrote what we thought was funny right, for right, ourselves. We had no. No obligation to How anything. How many stories are there that, that goes back to Larry and, and Bob Dylan being purists? Yes, and Every yes. good story of something starts with someone being like, I do this because this is what I do. So yes. you guys started doing what you do. Yes. And every, it seems like, myth and story that we love is about people realizing that the, the song in their heart was the one they should have been singing. But you can't, it's a, you, that could be, that is a very fulfilling thing that you must uh, aspire to. It's yeah. really, really important. But you also have to recognize that success or, or tapping into the zeitgeist or, or creating a meme type of an idea, yeah. that's very inadvertent and, and a product of a lot of factors that are out of your control also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, success is out of your control. Failure is out of your control to a large well, this degree. this goes back to the death thing. Yes, You I guys know. happen to come in at this time and would like to think we're special, right? Right, of right? course. Of I course. would rather right. you tell me the there's story. There's a reason why we're here, that's- but there's not. <laughs> That's the problem. I know? think about luck all the time yes, and fortune right. favoring that's different right. things. And, and I can pinpoint moments in my life where I was like, oh, that went that way because of that. Like yes, exactly uh, that. Absolutely. I remember when Woody <clears throat> Allen, when I was a kid and I was a massive fan of Woody Allen, we had the same birthday from the same neighborhood. He did a, like a profile in Time Magazine or something when Bananas came out, like 1969 or something like mm-hmm. that, where he talked about luck. Mm. He talked about the quality of luck. He, he said, look... If I grew up during like the the 19th century, that's right, and I lived out on the plain, and I was like you know kidnapped by Indians, right. I have nothing to offer them, right? You know, it happens that the <laughs> I have marketable skills for now in this world, for right you know? now. They, people will pay money to me to make comedy, you know, and even his dysfunction coming up, yes. that that helped him out. He uh, lucked out with uh, fucked uh, up parents, he, and the, he's <laughs> in the right. He's in the intersection of a lot of good things, right? At, as a lot of. Comedians from that era were like right. Billy Crystal, like like Mel Brooks, like right. a lot of people that I've actually had the good fortune to work with. Yes, they they are they are sort of like driven right. and ambitious and have vision, but also 
a couple of lucky things fall into place, well, that's and that separates a lot of people a lot of times. That was Match Point. Did you see Match Point? I did not see Match Point. It's kind of like Crimes and Misdemeanors, but redone. Oh, really? A little oh, bit. So if you like that one... <laughs> I'll check that out. But it's yeah. all about... Uh, and this is not a spoiler. It's the opening of the movie. It's, okay. it's so old that you, have, you could spoil it for me. I feel like, right? Yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't buy into that. Statute. I can't wait that long. You know, I can't put that... You know, If you want to tell me the ending <laughs> of the movie... I have to accept that. Oh, I won't tell you the ending because it's a good one. It's <laughs> oh, really? good. All right, well, then but maybe I'll watch it tonight. You should watch it. Yeah. I, a lot of people don't like new Woody Allen. I actually tend to like new things. That I'm very, do. I mean, I could I could quote verbatim his first few movies yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so I, ha- I feel like I had a very tight relationship Pretend with him. Pretend someone else made it. Well, well, that's you know what I mean. Well, like you, you might know, enjoy it if I well, just was like, watch this very movie. Good way, that's a very good way of looking at <laughs> it. With Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, yeah she wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would like that either. <laughs> that would distract that's, you that's, the yeah, whole that, time. That doesn't work. That, doesn't that, work that license that you give. But even I've always liked, like I loved uh, interiors and and those the, those are very yeah. serious movies. Yeah, I know he could do that. And there are movies that he's made in in recent times right. that I have really liked a lot, but others that I really didn't like, and others that I missed. Right, because there's so many. He just does so many. Yeah, you yeah. can sit out a few plays. I haven't That's, seen the Larry David one, and I love Larry right, David. Just right. didn't see yes, it. Yes, yes, exactly. What I, is that? The Larry David one, I did see it. It was yeah. good, also. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. but again, you have to like Larry David and the, you know, the story and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You know, uh, all of them have value on some level. Yeah. But at a certain point in your life, it's also like how much how much can I really absorb? Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Give me a break after a while. I got to like you know quiet things. I'm in you know? one of those times right now. I'm taking a little just a pause, like five days good, off stand good, up, good, and I, yeah. I don't want to. Watch anything new. I just want to fucking relax. <laughs> yeah, for have a little it quiet. Bit. Man, I can't quiet have it. Quiet is, is is a valuable commodity as I get older. Absolutely, you know, it's hard. It's hard to get to it. Match point opens with a shot of a tennis ball going over uh, the tennis net, and it the ball hits it. He must have shot tennis for a very long time before yeah. it happened perfectly. <laughs> and the ball hit the net, and there's this moment. Uh, and it, I, I think it might be called the match point. I'm not sure. Right, right. There's right. a moment where the ball either goes for no reason on your side right. and you lose or it goes on their side and you win right. and, he, and that's what the whole movie is about it's huh. like interesting it's not this but like you're jerking off at your aunt's house and she either walks in or she doesn't you right, know what right, I mean like, right, right, or, right, or you're right. on a plane and it either crashes or it doesn't you're on a, you, your heart either stops that's or it right. doesn't that's right you right now I, I, like I was just talking about Ebola I actually did like some wacky comedy radio and they asked me what I thought about Ebola and it was the least funny thing I've ever said but I was just like <laughs> we could die from anything at any moment of course but when we can name it a Ebola, yeah. or when we can call them gang members, right. or whatever it is. Well, we focus. We it's the media focuses the narrative for us, so it's yes. telling us to be afraid of Ebola this week. Yeah. Next week it's going to be the hantavirus, right. or you know, it's like going back to even how AIDS was reported on the distortions, right? And all you know, the the misinformation, right? And the political apathy. It's like th- this is part of a cycle that happens all the time to us. We forget yeah. that we've had many plagues that have been that have been predicted and that have come through. And yes, one of those plagues may be the plague that destroys everything. Yeah. You know, yeah. like Helix or whatever, yeah. the last ship or whatever. You know, it's a it's. We need to work it out in our TV, right. our, our apocalyptic fear. Right. We work it out in the TV That's show. That's right. You know? The fear, yeah. it helps us get, it helps yeah. us access it. Because we're going to survive. Right. 
We're you're gonna die. You're the star of the movie. We're the Walking Dead. We we need to sort of relate to the characters that survive. You know that's, that's really right. important. All those shows are about the survivors, and you got to have that vicarious. Well, experience. that's why, like Tony Soprano, you mentioned the Sopranos yes. earlier. We're so invested in, in him living and dying because yes. that's us. Yes, people people can't understand that they're insignificant yes. because you're the most significant thing. I'm moving this hand right now. Right. I'm moving it. And by the way, that is the miracle because how the hell does that work? Right. No, you know, I'm why with you. Am I, why can I do this? I know they don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody the knows. That. That's the simplest thing. Why one foot goes in front of the other when you walk, or where consciousness you know. uh, happens in the brain. Exactly. All those things are still mysteries. Yeah. You know, and we don't even talk about that kind of stuff. You know, which is really <laughs> the most miraculous thing of all. Absolutely. So it's a waste of time. I thought I wrote down. I had kind of like a trippy thought where I was like, everything is just color. <laughs> like I wrote that down. And I just I wasn't high or anything. You know I was what? just like, that's true. This though. is just color. Our perception of the world is based on where our eyes yes. and brain are in this moment of evolution. Right. So we can only see so – we can't see that this is like teeming – this is teeming with atoms. Yeah, I know. This edge is an illusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, it's like sh- As Bill Nye said, this. That's a- this is atoms repelling atoms. That's right. That's, that's what exactly – that's, that's right. why this is hard. And if you had the vision, <laughs> like if our eyes, if our brain evolves over the next – like that guy in the corner there. Yeah, the alien. If we wind up like that alien, <laughs> then we will see that. That's right. We're going to see that. That's there. It's real. It's as much reality as we think And just is, like before know? cell phones, we can't imagine a time when we didn't exactly. have – Exactly. Would be like I can't imagine there was a time that I couldn't see everything. Exactly. That was exactly. Maybe that's the ultra lasix. Right. That's like uh, maybe. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Sure. I would love something that would remind me to be in awe all the time. Right. I, I right. had it on the ride over, and I was driving, and uh, it was just like ah, this ride again. I've done it hundreds of times. Of course. And then I was like. Yeah, but this is the only time you've done it. Like, pay right. attention. Yes, it's true. <laughs> well, sometimes I mean, I live up, I live up in the mountains, and I live in a really like beautiful, like wild area, you mm-hmm. know. And and it's 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 a hard ride to get up there. But the truth is that it is really really pretty. And yeah, you can. It's great to sort of again re- replenish. Yes. After all the pollution that you have absorbed during the day, your ears and your the ideas that you've been forced to confront That's that you right. don't want to the commercials. I was just going to say materialism. Oh my too. god, it's so relentless. And it's it re- that to be oh. able to just kind of part part the waters there Good and have you. Pre- freedom is great. Get yeah. into the mountains, Larry. I'm in the mountains, man. <laughs> Get I'm into just, the mountains. I'm ready to run. <laughs> There's just, yeah, no, we call that disappear money. Yeah, you get right. that disappear briefcase. Run. Yeah. and get out of here. I, I've been thinking about materialism a lot lately because I, I was watching some shows from when I was a kid. They were on, I realized a show I liked was on YouTube and they brilliantly kept the commercials in. What was the show? It was, it's called Video Power. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's from the early uh-huh. wow. uh, 90s. Uh-huh. It's so 90s. It makes <laughs> Say by the Bell look subtle. It's so <laughs> 90s. And I'm watching it and I'm yeah. just like, this is just an advertisement. The show is a game show about video games to make you want the video games. Right, of then course. Then it cuts to the commercials. Of course, I know this has yeah. been said a billion times, but it really hit me. It cut to the commercials, and it's all just toys. Of Back course. in the day before video games, of it course. was just kids in long sleeve black T-shirts playing <laughs> games going, pew, pew, because it didn't make noise. It right. didn't do anything. They're just banging them against wow. each other. Wow, And that's as good as they can make it. Right, and I was like, right. holy shit, from a very, very young age, how are we addressing, as we've been discussing, death? Inevitability of death, and then also all these uh, intangible longings, these ethereal longings. Yes, then we go replace them with your desire for a new toy. And well, we go, those ah. desi- those d- creating those desires is how we are distracted from mm-hmm. dealing with that internal longing yes. that doesn't get addressed. That's you right. Know? I mean, you want if you talk about commercials. To me, the, the juxtaposition that's the most egregious 
is you could be watching a story about a plane crash and two people dead, and they go to the commercial for, you know, DiGiorno pizza. Right. There's no sense of, like, <laughs> let's sit for a minute and feel... <laughs> Imagine if they did. Let's sit for a minute and feel this tragedy, you know, together. Right. Let's have a let's have a common moment right. to think about what this means, and let's also explore the story in all its facets. You know right. how it happened. No, no, you could all, do a whole documentary on that topic. Oh my god! But so, instead, it's a giorno. It's it's and it's excuse It's like a ten second story. Right. You're like death, horror, and now pizza. You know, it's like <laughs> is this delivery? No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's there's the real There's no sense of of that being like like wrong. Right. Right. Ethically wrong from a journalistic point of right. view, you know, and yet you begin to realize who owns the stations, who who's doing the commercials. The DiGiorno motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> fucking owns everything. And now a pause for a word from our sponsor, yes. DiGiorno. Yes, he is here. He but, is with us at all times. But DiGiorno. that lie and the materialism lie and all, all that sort of stuff is just kind of paving over, smoothing over a very complicated. We live in the Matrix. We really we do. do. We do live, live in the Matrix. In the Matrix. We live and in the until Matrix. we peel away. The delusion, we're yes. going to buy into it. How know? do you peel away the delusion? Uh, the mountains is a good start. I'm not I, even I think with you. you have to. I think com- comedians are kind of the leading edge mm. of seeing through the bullshit and mm-hmm. demythologizing things. Mm-hmm. That's that's the role of the comedian in the society, inadvertently sometimes or purposefully. Right. Uh, but that is the role. The comedian's role is to say, hey, look, look at this bullshit. Right. This is a fucking hypocrisy. Right. Come on. Open your eyes. Check it out. That's you right. Know? And some, for some comedians like Lenny Bruce, it drives them insane. Right. Really, because you don't see the, the, the society responding the right. way you hope. You know? Right. But you see the great comedians have that quality. Bill Hicks, too. Bill uh, Hicks, amazing. Never so- really saw it. Right. Social commentary. They're talking about things in a way that really communicates right. these ideas. And again, we go. I go back for me to Richard Pryor yep. George Carlin Lenny Bruce people like of that yes. who, who who stood on the edge of the precipice right. to try to share some kind of truth right. very few people in the society are willing to do that right. you know? and, right. but for some reason comedians are rewarded yeah. for doing that I so. was thinking about the uh, the comedic integrity of hair plugs <laughs> <laughs> like if my hair fell out and yeah. hair plug technology is so nice these days, I you know I don't know for sure, but it, I think I know some people that have them that are fantastic. Let's just well, say well I, I have to say I remember the first couple of people I knew again going back to the seventies <laughs> and eighties who got hair transplants. Yes. And they were like cornrows, and it was like it was like having little sprouts. Yeah. on the top. Of Bill Burr says little ant legs. Yeah, it was, <laughs> they used to stample ant legs to your head. It's very it was very <laughs> off putting, right. and forced you to stare into the person. You know, thing. The very thing they didn't want. But clearly the technology has gotten to a point that there are many people that yep. I know yep. who it's like, wow, that's a that's That's a, great. That's yeah, a full yeah. head of hair. Makes you look it, like an eight year old. Yeah, exactly. Wow, it's amazing. <laughs> but 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 no, but in a way that it's so subtly done yeah. that you actually oh, unless yeah. you have a personal knowledge of it right. or unless you go back and Google old pictures you or, got, or you better be spooning with that person every night and getting a good look. <laughs> and you're the right. big spoon. A that's good right. look at that spot. That's right. So so it seems like there's a lot of people kind of... Uh, Doing it. They do it. They've done it. And you don't even know they've done it. But know? here's the thing. With with comedy, if this is if we're to be savants, yes. if we're to be legends and geniuses, if, if we're to strive to be that, yes. is it uh, hair plugs and looking good or is it 
motherfuckers, watch me decay. I'll be the one you can look at I, while I, I burn. I completely agree with you. I, I th- and I think if you look at a Larry David or, yes. or even look at Jerry, you know, I, these are guys who accept, exactly accept who they are. Yeah. And I think, again, if you look at comedians in history, you see, again, the same thing. They kind of accept who they are. You yeah. Know? Now, there was a much more of a kind of a, a toupee culture. <laughs> In the in the post war era, yeah, you know, uh-huh. Jack Benny, Bob Hope, they were losing. Bob Hope wore a toupee. Sure, they were losing their hair, and they really uh, they they needed to keep the stage persona, yeah. intact. The big dick. So they gave into the toupees. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But that was uh, uh, Groucho Marx. All of them wound up wearing. But toupees. none of those guys were telling us the truth necessarily. In right. the way that Louis, right. another bald guy, that's right. Larry and Louis, two bald well, there's guys. There's brave bald guys. There's you know? brave bald guys. They're brave bald guys. Are very much so. But they're the ones saying. Saying that, like, I have these terrible thoughts. I always know yes. that bit that uh, Louis C.K. has about calling a deer the N-word. <laughs> and why? Because there's, there's just – there's this line in Mad Men where Roger Sterling goes, like, I've made peace with my mind, thoughts clean and unclean. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, that's one of the jobs yeah, of yeah. the artist is to yes. go, like – I know. I was just talking to my mother on the way over, having a terrible thought, filled with dark jokes. She's Lithuanian. I'm li- that makes me Lithuanian. Right. We're just like dark. We're yes. we're, we're in there. Yes. I think there's something almost, uh, and I say this as a compliment, Hebraic about the level no of question. sense of humor. No question. Where I'm just like, we're pickling things. We make potato pancakes. You call them latkes. All that sort of stuff. Where I'm just kind <laughs> yeah. of like, but we'll make a joke about her dying, my father sure, dying, of course, suicide, abortion, like. This is a church lady. My She's brother, a church my lady. brother took my my brother took my father recently. My father's his late eighties. My brother took my father recently to see the grave of his parents and his plot. Yes, and my father, my brother got my father to take a picture, like hugging his unused plot and smiling. You know, it's like the most <laughs> ghoulish, weird, disturbing picture. That's right on the nose. But that's, that's, yeah, also like Eastern European kind of yes. life is suffering. Yes. So you better do something with that if you want to survive. Right. You know, you know he's mentioned Seinfeld too. Seinfeld's not uh, in the vogue uh, truth-telling guy necessarily. Well, you know what? I think that he has evolved – like I think his voice, I, I, I would question that in the sense that it seems to me lately he is so uninhibited, so I agree. much himself. He's going to be a great old guy, right? That he's kind of in a way that like <laughs> the George Burns's and Bob Hope sort of bailed, yeah. on that opportunity, yeah, to sort of talk really honestly about right. about life at that point in your life. I think he's taking advantage of that and starting to hit some resonant notes. Well, like comedians in cars. That, yes, that to right. me, uh, I was actually just talking to somebody, um, stealing their thought, but uh, they were saying that that is his Louis set. Yeah. Like, let's yeah. film what it's like just being funny off the cuff because he is funny off the cuff. And I hear those interviews yes. and stuff. Well, I think he's, you know, I think Larry David, you know, is, is kind of the influence of so many, yeah. so much of this kind of sensibility, even on Jerry. And, yeah. you know, and, and Jerry would be the first to admit that. Like when, 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 when they met, he, you know, Larry David had a sort of a, a kind of a sterling mythical reputation that Jerry really understood and really tapped into when, yeah. when they when they partnered up. You yeah. know? And I think even doing comedians in cars with coffee right. 
is kind of like, you know, sort of seeing what the liberation of doing a Curb Your Enthusiasm was like and right. trying to find something, That's a right. vehicle for him to be able to be that honest. Literally And that unvarnished. Yeah, you know? yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And I think he found it, obviously. I didn't even think of how similar that is to kind of like a Kirby freedom. Yeah, it's like almost like a great long scene in Curb. That's it what is. That's what the show is. You yeah, know? that's right. Yeah. And I, I have to imagine in you working on that show and knowing Larry that that was a liberating thing. It must be a liberating thing to direct. It was uh, It was incredible. I mean, with the fact that I'm a director is, be- is because of that. Because I had pretty much, I had been a showrunner. I had done a lot of stuff like that. Right. And I kind of reached the point in my life where I was like, you know what, even though I had aspirations and ambitions and dreams to direct, I kind of, around the age of 40, was like, you know what, this is not going to happen. Yeah. I'm not going to be a director. I have everything else, really. I really can't complain. Right, right, right. So I should be cool with it. Right. But I know I'm not going to direct. And then Larry did Curb, and he's like, you know, you should direct one of these. No. Like, literally that offhanded. Again, match point. The ball went into into their court. My life is filled with those. Yeah. And And how many times the story, sorry to interrupt, the story again and again is someone we know. Give me flesh and blood. Give me a warm handshake. Let me in the room and I'll close the cocksucker. That's from Glengarry Glenn That idea that like, that is how so many things happen. Yes. You meet somebody. You don't creep them out. Right. You're funny. Yeah. You're the 11 p.m., the 1 a.m. test, like in a writer's room. I could eat pizza with this guy at 1 a.m. That's right. Very important. Under a deadline. And and I like him, and he seems to like me, and he wants to direct, direct. Yeah, The yeah. Guild and all the show business yeah. red tape makes it so difficult to become a director, and the guy goes, you direct. Right, exactly. There was no, uh, I had no ambition. I had, in a Buddhist sort of way, I had totally let go. Yes. I had let go of that desire. Oh, Larry, you surrendered. You know, it's part of, like, understanding that life is suffering is that suffering is caused by desire, and so I just let go of that desire, and sure enough. But didn't let, that? You want to get real fucking mystic? <laughs> Didn't that open that up? I'm not saying necessarily cosmically moved Larry David's hand. Right, right, But that, right. L- that surrendering is appealing. Let's just keep it right here. Well, you want to know something? He is, and Bob Dylan was like this too, but Larry even more so because I spent more time with Larry. And he is like a guru. Yeah. To me. He has always been this kind of reluctant guru to me because <laughs> because I, I don't book. necessarily have good role models in my life. And he, although not on the surface you think he's a terrible role model, right, actually. Right. But he's a great role model. Yeah. He has integrity. You know, he never wavers. He has uh, confidence in his vision. Yeah. You know, he's he's a uh, he marches to his own drummer. Yeah. And he was extremely. He's probably the most influential person in my adult life. Yeah. You know, because I was able to follow in his footsteps in terms of how to conduct myself. My ideas are my ideas. My sensibility is my sensibility. But how do you navigate this part? Right. The show business part. The meetings. You the, need the a guy. It. Yeah. He showed me how to do it. Yeah. By never compromising. Never. Never wavering in his integrity. Yeah. You know, saying to me things like, don't do anything that makes you cringe. Yeah. You know, he would just give me little nuggets of Ooh, wisdom. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one, isn't it? Don't do anything that makes you cringe. Yeah, exactly. And that's a way to make choices in your life, you know, that are good, wise choices yeah. that you look back on and go, oh, thank God I chose that path. Do you tend you know? to go for the, the male figure? I do. Uh, let me say where I'm going with this. Yes. I tend to go for male figures. I like a male therapist. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, Conan has been very kind to me, and that's a very natural relationship i tend to gravitate women i love them so so much i have a lot of female friends yes. and that energy is great for me 
And then for some reason, and I think it has something to do with my dad, I go for the approval of, of the guy. And I and when they give me those little tidbits, it's now, like we're fishing. Now, do you, you, you mention your father. Yeah. And, and that's – are you saying your father did not provide that? He does now. and yeah, when Because I would say my father did not. That's what I'd like to know. But my father, though – Inadv- again, I'm using the word inadvertent a lot because yeah, I see a lot of people doing unconscious. That's such a comedy thing. <laughs> no one else is keeping tabs on how many times you say it's a like word. It's starting to annoy me. No. <laughs> keep going back to it. I'm sorry. I keep saying but, apropos. I'm sorry. But it, it works, though, yeah, because yeah. my father was – he came out of World War II and used the GI Bill to go to dramatic school. He was the American Academy wow. of Dramatic Arts. He wanted to be an actor. He did stand-up comedy. He worked for a while. Get out of here. Yes, he worked what would for that a while. Have been? What year? We're talking about the early 50s. Early 50s? There was a place called Hanson's in Manhattan where all Buddy Hackett and Alan King and all the famous comedians were starting out. They all hung out there. My father used to hang out there. Shut your mouth. He worked for a while under the name of Psycho. I kid you not. Psycho. Psycho the Exotic Neurotic. Psycho? <laughs> that was his name. That's like a guy I knew guilty (laughs) so he had no success (laughs) so so he was kind of unhappy and unsettled his whole life because he gave up that dream at a certain point yeah so he he inundated me with show business what does that remind me of uh johnny carson is that I, so? be- I believe uh, if it's not Johnny Carson, I'm going to be embarrassed. But there's somebody big that had that father that wanted it. Maybe it com- happens from time to time. I think it's I think it's a very common a common sort right. of um, the frustration. Bo- both my parents, my mother also is like a singer and no, you know, yeah, but show but, family, but, did not, but never really went beyond a certain point and sort of gave up on it. When did they have you? Uh, 1956. So your dad was my father's probably 30. Okay, so that's yeah, pretty, I, yeah. to me, how L.A. is that? I'm like, that's young. <laughs> <laughs> I had my first child when I was 30. Is that so. true? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, and, and, and it was young in retrospect. Right, right, um, right. But you don't, again, these are, these are unconscious choices to some degree yeah. that you only have some wisdom and insight about in hindsight. So what know? happened with Psycho? I, I didn't mean to so, derail so, that. Yeah, he, he, he just, he hit the wall a couple Psycho. of places, did not have the uh, inner strength, yeah. the resilience that you need yes. to deal with the level of rejection Jesus. that you have to deal with to get to the next level. And back then it was It's some... like a bad video game, yeah. you know? Oh. You, if you can't deal with the wall of rejection, you can't go on to the next level. If comedy yeah. were a video game, people would throw it out the window. <laughs> that's right. You're just like, this it boss is unbeatable. Yeah, that's right. You lose in the end. Right. That's the, that's the hard part, right. you know? Because you look at all the great comedians. I mean, we, we just had the tragedy of Robin Williams. You yeah. Know? It's like comedians eventually are out of step with the audience. You yeah. Know, like, it's very hard to stay in step. A guy like George Carlin. I was going to say Carlin's the But exception. he did it because he had, like an artist, he had phases you yeah. know, he had his early phase where he was a very straight comedian. Right. And he was very funny during that phase. Then he grew his hair long. Put on the beard. Coke shirt. Coca-Cola. Exactly. <laughs> went, he, exactly. He went for uh, uh, that more sort of alternative comedy. Yeah. He kind of invented that form to a large degree. Yep. Did very well with that. You know, then at a certain point, he drops out. He actually has a kind of a fallow period. I remember George yeah. Carlin, you know, after 20 years, it made sense. It's like, well, that's the end of George Carlin. Right. But he, Sam Kinison and those guys sort of inspired him. Oh, scared him out of retirement. Yes, and he kind of came back with a vengeance <laughs> and was like ferocious in his last years yeah. actually, on stage. You yeah. Know? But that's an unusual story. That's why right. George Carlin is George Carlin. Right. You know? Or Richard Pryor is Richard Pryor. But we lose those, in the end. We, yeah, those, both those guys lost. Right. Both those guys died early. Both those guys were debilitated. 
appreciated. Right. Both those guys were ultimately broken by the very thing that they gave. You're you know, talking about like, Pryor. Pryor and, and, and Carlin. Yeah. Both died young, really. Yeah. Relatively. I mean, to me now... They died young. Other people might say, well, my God, they were old. But, you know, that's another discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Relativity of age. But but yes, in the end, they have this legacy, but it doesn't do them any good. They're dead. You yeah, know. but what, like, why are we here? Like, oh my I, this, God. that keeps coming back. Is is like I'm taking a second water. Yeah, that's please so have serious. a second water. <laughs> that's how serious that question is. But it's like, I believe. This is one of my answers to what is the meaning of life. To humbly and proudly return the gift you've been given. So, okay. did Richard Pryor... And that's Richard Rohr, by the way, who wrote that. Richard Pryor did that. He did get fucked. Wait, I've already talked about this. Robin Williams uh, ended his life. That's, that's a loss that yes. day. Yes. That doesn't mean he was unhappy the whole time. Right. And Richard Pryor struggled with addiction, several marriages yes. and yes. violence, lit and himself had on the, fire. And had the bad luck of, of his disease also. Right. Absolutely. And, and George Carlin also. And, and, and Robin Williams perhaps too. That's right. Was a victim of diseases that he we don't understand fully. That's right. We don't know how to deal with fully. That's and, right. And we don't know the full story of, of those, uh, those issues that but he might have gone we all have struggled to, with. We all go. We all go. <laughs> we all do go. We all do go. And not the way we want to. You and not know? the way we want to. You but know? in the time, I don't want to make this like the cheesy third act wrap of a, some stupid fucking movie. <laughs> but isn't it something? That's not going to happen with me. And you, That's I don't think so. Don't worry about that. But isn't it something? Isn't it? It doesn't it say something that you're like he put his art out. It doesn't matter to him. But let's let's get weird. Is it the global consciousness? Richard Pryor changed your life and my life. Absolutely. And you and I contribute to a matrix of our own. I agree with you. I believe that we have the potential, that that's what's sort of embedded within us, is the potential to move on to another level of consciousness. Yep. Whatever that's going to be, whatever the human form is going to evolve into, we have that within us now to do that. We also have this self-destructive gene that may win out in the end. Right. You know, we've only been here, we like make fun of Neanderthals, like they're sort of like the (laughs) the mentally challenged of the human spectrum. They were here a lot longer than we were. Oh my God. A lot longer than we were, you know. Get out of here with facts. And again, with the luck, the luck factor of like 10 degrees weather difference. Yeah. Or those kind of little things, Access the Antithals would still be here. Yeah. You know? So yeah. we think, oh, we're humans. We really got it figured out. We, we have nothing. We, uh, we don't have any records for survival. <laughs> Animals are going to live longer. You, you know, it's like we are, we have a very deluded sense of self. Of course we do. You know, as a species. Right. If we get smart and humble ourselves, we might see, oh, you know, we're not supposed to be this. Right. We're supposed to be that. Right. You know, whatever that is. Right. You know? Instead, people are like trying to preserve this. You can't preserve this. It's the Decaying every second. Right. You, you think you have a grip on it, it's gone. The earth you know? is on fire. Yes. Everything's on fire. This is a uh, uh, um, a meteorite ring. This is 4.7 billion years old. Shut you know, up. We're here like 50,000 years <laughs> on this planet. You know what I mean? That's it's crazy. It's ridiculous to, to have any kind of arrogance about human accomplishments. Can you I know? tell you something? That's so weird. So you have a meteorite ring. Yes. To help you remember the scope of things. Exactly. I used to wear a ring in college because I went to Israel and I had them right because they'll write anything in Hebrew and it looks cool. I had them write uh, Netzach, which means eternity. Yes. Because it was that same sort of thing. Yes, It was yes. like, look at every. Look well, at in all Israel, this. you talk about Israel. Israel is a place where people have dealt with death 
They deal with death every day. Right. They deal with the harbinger of death and destruction every single day, and that informs their consciousness. It informs their That's demeanor, right. Right. their personality. They're much more reductive. They don't. They don't waste time on frivolity. You know yep. what I mean? Yep. They are to the point. That's, That's right. why they have a reputation for being blunt. It's like they don't have time That's to right. not be blunt. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like it's. We don't have that here. We have more. We've never gazing. been. We've never been. A country that has been under siege. Yeah, we just don't know what that's really like. You know, right, we right. really don't know what that's like. Think about someone living in Syria or Iraq who's like you know trying to do a podcast right. or trying to take their kid to school or just go to work, and out there there's like fighting going on. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's like that. Right. We don't get that at all. We don't understand that at all. You know, and right. that's why we're doomed on some level unless we start to figure that out. You know. See, I wonder about that all the time. It's like sometimes I realize that a lot of the biggest they feel big breakthroughs to me spiritually, and I just mean yes. metaphysically. Yes, getting into some sort of other consciousness. Right. Happen when I've had like a good bowel movement, <laughs> like a good meal. Yes. Nine hours of sleep. Yes. And a day where I don't have anything to do. Yes. How often do you have those? Those days is that that's fairly regular you know right now I'm that's, not... uh, that's admirable yeah <laughs> you want to have those days <laughs> i don't i haven't had nine hours sleep probably since i was a child is that right yeah i don't think Th- so. that's my average yeah that's great but i'll leave a party early because fuck this okay i'm good, going good. to the i Avatar won't go to the party planet. at all but i just still won't go to sleep that's all <laughs> i don't go to the party but i'll just sit in my room in the dark and sit up but here on one hand we're fucked because we don't know that syrian reality yeah and when i was in uh, uh, israel we used to see tanks shooting and bombs yeah, going so on and I've been there too, and seen the. You, know, you go down the road, and, and they go, "Oh yeah, that's where the battle was." Right that's on right. the highway that you're right. on. You know, that's right. And we get stopped. You and... see rubble everywhere. You see rubble. That's right. Ancient rubble. Yeah, that's right. Ancient rubble from the time when the Romans were there. That's There's, right. That's still there. That's you know? in your life every, yes. day, every day, every day, every day, every day. Checkpoints and AK-47s yes. on nineteen-year-olds. Yes, in the marketplace. That's right. There's machine guns. There's young girls carrying that's massive right. machine guns. That's right. Who are looking at you askance? Right. And at least. Me, I right. was looked at a scan, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. and got stopped and got questions all the time. I would there, cast yeah. you as the guy that gets looked at askance. <laughs> <laughs> Enter Larry Charles, a man yes. you'd look at askance. I was, I was, <laughs> I was looked at askance in virtually every place I've ever been. Really, when I think about it, <laughs> but uh, that. So, what, what? How do we reconcile the idea that on one hand we don't have that reality, so that's kind of fucking us up because we're privileged and we're entitled. But then also, when you do have the time, it's like being in the Himalayas. You yeah. know what I mean? Like. If your life is comfortable, you can potentially get to places of quiet. I'm not saying the other people can't, but maybe knuckleheads like us in between movies might well, have a moment of transcendence. It would be great, and I have failed at this so far, but I've tried to do as much of it. I tried to, you know, I tried to do work that I think matters, that I think needs to exist. Mm. I try to really base my choices on those kind of criteria. Mm-hmm. You know, do I need to add to the slag heap of bullshit mm. that's already out there, or is this something that maybe it'll cut through right. and be honest and A tell stick people of dynamite something? In the you know, yeah. but there are people like I was watching Shark Tank last night. Mm-hmm. Okay, and there was a couple on, and again, this is the, you know the pay on to capitalism. Mm-hmm. But here was a couple actually who had some product like. Socks. 
they made socks. <laughs> that was their thing. But they had taken the money from the socks and actually opened two orphanages in India. And I thought, how many people? I you know, it's, how many yeah. people actually do a tangible thing like that? Right. To try, even though they're only helping two hundred people, that's a lot. Two hundred kids. Right. It's a tremendous, a tremendous sort of challenge and uh, task. Yeah. They don't have to do it. They can sit back and they actually. And so I admire, I yeah. admire people who are tangibly yeah. trying to change things in any way they can have control I think, over, see, know? right there, that's good empathy and that's good perspective is when you hear a story like that, because I just heard that story, and you go, oh, that's sweet, until you remember they didn't have to they do didn't that. didn't have to do it. People think it's a different kind of money. Yeah. This person opened a sock business and then they opened an orphanage. Yeah, but they probably had a billion dollars or something. Right, you know what right, I mean? Like, right. You want to find a way that makes you feel better for not opening an orphanage. Right, right. Exactly. Well, that's the, the way to do that, in my humble opinion, is to you have that choice in every encounter you have. Yeah. You know, how are you going to deal with this person? How are you going to deal with this stranger? How are you going to deal with this person who needs help? How you deal with that in that individual level, yeah. that's that's something you can do every single day. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be a fucking asshole. Right. That's the choice you can make, however that manifests itself, you know? That <laughs> yeah, made me think of Larry. <laughs> <laughs> that, His, character. Is, His character. His character. Right, because the truth is that Larry is actually a very generous, right. good soul. He really, really is. Not right. that he wants people to necessarily know that. Right. But he's really somebody who's got a purity about him mm. that's very inspiring in that yeah, respect, yeah, yeah. you know? And then his character character is a is a beautiful asshole i think well he's a brave larry's a brave artist and uses himself as his art yeah and is willing to tap into the darkest thoughts that he has yeah and let that be part of his character and not be afraid of the consequences of it <laughs> well isn't that what we're talking about yes. thoughts clean and unclean that's right that's exactly. the role he's of the accepted artist. he's accepted that in a way that most people don't what do you do when the little old lady checking out books at the library also occasionally thinks i bet that guy is a huge dick or yes. whatever it is yes. not that that's an unclean thought necessarily but i'm just something I, worse i think we need to that we need to encourage people to not be afraid of their darkest thoughts. Right. You know, it's like any psychiatrist will tell you you've got to put it on the table. You've Absolutely. got to shine a light on Open it. Open the window. That's the way to come to grips with it. Absolutely. You know? I think you, when you let it fester, it grows mushrooms, and then you eat those mushrooms, and then you have a trip where you're killing people, and it wasn't a trip. Well, that's <laughs> and that's the story of America to some degree. The dark thoughts are suppressed. Yeah. Slavery. All the things that, that, you know, that have happened in this country yeah, that are yeah, dark. Yeah. The Indians, right? All suppressed, oh suppressed, God. suppressed. But it doesn't go away because it's suppressed. Right. It becomes even more twisted and, and perverse. And more powerful. And manifested in even... Like the Indian... Why is the Indian burial ground the beginning of every horror story? That's the, right. the mythology of a horror that's story right. is because that's the past. That's the mistake of a right. past. We have violated. We have violated the rules of nature. Right. You know? That's and, right. And in, in those movies, it comes back to haunt everybody. Right, right, right. Yeah. As it does, I think, in our at least in our uh, psychosis... Not our psychosis. Our... Uh, uh, Psyche. Our brain, psyche. Yes. <laughs> Psycho. I'm there for it, man. Psyche. That was his opening act. Yes. You know, psyche. Psyche. How did, right. So that didn't work either. What did you think? <laughs> what do you think is the meaning of life then? It sounded like we're talking about art. We're Look, talking about I, giving I, things I th back. I, this is what I believe. And I mean, again, it's like a, it's this very simplistic kind of, you know, unscientific notion that's based on a lot of philosophical and scientific thoughts that I've read over the years. Mm -hmm. But again, I feel like we are here to 
move on to the next level of consciousness. We're given the opportunity as a species to continue seeking. And indeed, maybe there is some kind of answer. Maybe there's some kind of loop that's beyond our imagination as humans at this point, but is available to us if we continue to evolve. Mm. But at the same time, that promise is threatened at all times by our self-destructive urges. And most likely, humans will not get to that phase. They will destroy themselves before they get to that phase and never discover what that secret might be out there, what that mystical cosmic secret might be that connects everything because we didn't reach a level of consciousness to understand it, Mm. and then they'll just start all over again. And that's what happens? We just shake the etch-a-sketch? That's it, exactly. And then we go again? We go again. We go again. And and again, I I don't believe in the ego as a tangible thing enough to think that we, Pete and Larry, go again. Yeah. No. Pete and Larry's energy is gone. Is gone. It reconfigures, perhaps, in some other way. I like to think your ego dies. You die in the way that I see you. But then I'm open to the idea that your essence might be... That's where I have... It sounds exhausting. It's also... It's it's too much of a good thing to think that you'll die and your essence in some tangible form will continue. It's it's almost like... Again, that's part of the arrogant thought to me. It's like we are important enough to continue after our death. You know, Shakespeare... Whoever it is, they're gone, and and their energy has dispersed, and Shakespeare as an entity does not exist. Right, but maybe Shakespeare, would you be open to the idea Shakespeare dies? Oh, Willie Shakes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's who is better known. He dies, uh, and then we have this, let's just picture what we're all picturing, like a white, bluish light that's Willie Shakes. Okay, I'm there. He dies. Now we're going to split that into a thousand pieces and put that into, because isn't life, isn't it all everything? Isn't it all God? Yes, it's all everything. Yeah, it's It's all all everything. everything. I think that's true, and it's, it's... it's constantly just like the earth itself you hear the story of like asteroids hitting and spores landing and yeah. you know things breaking apart and coming together and gravity and all these forces that's what happens with humans also they they come together they fall apart they the, the energy mixes and matches in all kinds of different ways that's right. it's constantly flowing and what i believe is we have the potential to see it mm-hmm. and maybe even understand it if we evolve and i i might maybe i'm just the optimist that i'm like i think we'll get there well that's a great thought that's a great thought um <laughs> it you, is a great thought i don't know you were you, in that truck stop with bill maher though i mean like I, you've I seen, was, you've I seen was. that stuff oh my god yes well that's the problem that's what you're fighting you're fighting ignorance right and, and people that are set in their ways and will just refuse to open their eyes to see right. reality which is kind of like a plato's cave yeah. which is of that famous you know they're all in the cave and they think that the shadow on the wall is the only reality right and one of the people gets out of the cave and sees and he goes back and they just think he's nuts right you know? uh-huh. so uh which is probably the worst telling of the plato's cave no I, that gave me a little chills but i, I love that i only yeah. know that because of this podcast I, yeah. I, I didn't learn that in college or anything right, i know that right. it's now a very, it's a good it's a really good analogy for how we're our ignorance prevents us from seeing the light i just watched know? uh pleasantville the toby yes, mcguireville yes. vehicle I cry every time yeah. four or five different parts because it's a little bit like the Plato's Cave is that like people are becoming color through yes. art and sex and even getting in touch with their rage That's or getting right. in touch with their bad thoughts. Well, the energy. It's energy. There's a lot of energy that we are producing that we don't think about, you mm. know, and so it could be channeled in all kinds of different ways, you mm-hmm. know, um, and our brain is not tapped into in, in the way that is that sort of increases its potential. So mm-hmm. there's so much like going back to why we could wave our hand or take a walk. <laughs> we don't know the reason. Like that's how much we don't know about our brain. Right. Like even basic things. That we t- like why, why do we keep breathing? Right. Why does it work every time? Right. <laughs> 
Oh I'm, God, I'm if breathing. we if we were high right now. Oh well, I I would I don't need to be high to get at my age. But you'd freak to me get out into that shit. I will. I can be traffic going going. Why am I breathing? Yeah. Why is it working? Oh yeah. my God. You know. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just stop to be working. honest, neither do I. For some people, it does stop working. Also. Yeah, that's right. You know, we You're, know that right now as we're talking, right? You know, people taking their last breath that's within right. a, within a, a block of here. Yeah, probably, that's right. You know? Millions of people. Millions of people are dying right this second. Yeah. It's and if you live with that, if you carry that burden with you all the time it's very hard you get paralyzed or you watch it. duck dynasty and, dir- and jerk off <laughs> yeah to the commercials. yeah yeah i understand that's- that i haven't done <laughs> me neither but maybe i should try it i don't know <laughs> you know it's it's interesting because you did you directed religious yes which is different from directing uh you know gone baby gone or whatever right, in that you're, so. you're involved in it yes and i i have to say i'm pleasantly surprised not that surprised to be honest but i thought maybe you'd be kind of like it's all horse shit and i understand right. that the mythologies Aren't. A lot of it, unfortunately, is horseshit. But there's a but it's tapping into questions that are real. That's right, and that I do find fascinating. Right, you know, it's a shame. That's, and you know, can I tell you one thing? If Please. I may, the most insightful people about reality that we dis- we talk to in religious, yeah, I think about this all the time. Were the Catholic priests? I remember at that the guy. Vatican. I remember that. There guy. was a couple of these guys. There was the astronomer. There was the guy outside who yeah. said that Jesus wasn't born on December twenty. They, they right. They wasn't know- he smoking. He was smoking also. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> All those that. guys, I mean, even the Pope this week said that he believes in evolution. Yeah. You know, they believe, the Catholic Church believes in evolution. The Catholic Church is one of the most interesting, the Vatican, one of the most interesting institutions. Yeah. Because who runs the Vatican now? The Pope and all his minions are PhDs. They're all scientists and doctors. Oh my God. They are smart guys. They are scientists. They know that science, as they explain in the movie, science was not even thought about till hundreds of years after religion was invented. That's right. There's no overlap there whatsoever, right. you know? Mm-hmm. And science is real, and they all know that. They know that evolution is how man comes about and how things work. Mm-hmm. They understand global climate crisis. They understand uh, uh, complicated concepts, yep. but they can't let the masses in on that truth. And so they sell the masses this simplistic version right. of life. It's like an ice cream shop in the back. They're selling Mona Lisa. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so, but it's ironic to me that they actually get it. Yeah. But they can't tell anybody. But isn't that it? You yes. just said it. Yeah. So many people, there's that Zen Buddhist teaching, they only teach those who ask. Yes. And I think right. that's a brilliant one. Yes. I get in trouble all the time. I'll, I'll start spouting off things that I've read and, and things that have changed my life. Yes. People need to ask. Yes. It's like, hey, hey, you got to hit rock bottom before you get sober. You got to have your own experience. Well, the lack of curiosity is one of the greatest detriments to the society. When people don't ask, when people aren't curious, like what, you know. What so happened? You, yeah. You hear news every day. I mean, I'll sit and watch the news or I'll read the newspaper and I'll go why this why asking why Mm -hmm. and again most of the artists that i admire by the way are guys that asked why at inappropriate moments when people didn't (laughs) want to be asked that question and it kind of broke through yeah you know it broke through to the truth that was hiding behind that you Mm -hmm. know so the why question why this being curious about the, the underlying meaning of stories that we hear of news that we hear of horrors that we hear about uh, asking questions about it is is essential to the society figuring it out and healing itself. Mm-hmm. But a part of the society is also so invested mm-hmm. in not allowing that truth to come out. It's the matrix. Know? 
We've, we've Matrix, gone back yes. to the Matrix. Yes. Ma- we're in Matrix 2 now. That's right. <laughs> we're in Reloaded. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But it's that idea that waking up is unpleasant. And I, I right. don't say, I, I don't even consider myself woken up. You know, I'm trying to right. wake You're up. Right, you're trying, right. But I, I'm thinking about how unpleasant it is. It, it is nice to eat a double down. Of course, of course. Whatever. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. It's nice to ignore it. It's, it is, it is yeah. nice to ignore it. It's, but at a certain point, you reach a certain point in life, whether you want to or not, where you've reached the top of the hill, supposedly. Yeah. But the top of the hill also means you can see down to the end of the road. Yeah. You know, so you can no longer pretend mm. that you don't know there's an end to the road. That's right. You now you can't go backwards anymore. Right. You got to go down and walk to the fucking end of the road, and that's it. Right. You know, that's where it ends. You know, right. you can walk slow, you can walk fast, you can run. Right. But that's where it ends. You yeah. know, and you can't pretend that anymore. Once you can't pretend that, you tend to see things a little more clearly. Yeah. You know, and that's good, right? I was just gonna it's, say it's good, but it's like a burden too. You know, it's both. It's it's a good burden. Yes, yes. But it is one of the things that often shakes people up that makes them smell flowers and notice the miracle of a bee flying yes. is some sort of – they say Timothy Leary when he was dying in the hospital – would weep when he saw an ant crawling across the floor and would get down and stare at it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, that's the correct response. Yes. Well, he was probably tripping also. And, <laughs> well, he had so you, much in him. But you know what? I, I, that's okay. Yeah. Because if, if tripping, uh, I have I have certainly taken acid, LSD, those kind of things many times in my life. Yeah. I found it to be positive experiences. Yeah. Because it allows you to see this reality on a different plane. That's right. And that is liberating. That is illuminating. It is is revelatory. Yeah. And, and Timothy Lear of course, was a person who had that level of consciousness and was what happened to him. He was marginalized by society. He was considered a criminal. He was one of our great intellectuals who was not listened to. Yeah. He was instead, you know, he, he was derided, he was insulted, uh, and he was marginalized and made a fringe person. Right. Instead of people really listening to what he had to say, which would have been much more valuable for the consciousness yep. and the potential of where humans are going than it- Nixon or the people that were around him at that time. Right. It just people like that just make me think of like a cocktail party where everybody's black tie right. and a guy shows up in a pink dress or right, something and you're right. just like we have that bully mentality yes. where we're like fuck that guy yes. he represents all these challenging weird Well America that we has have. a very you can very much argue that America has a bully mentality yeah. when you look at the way it deals with its own minorities with the weaker people in the society it does not treat them with compassion yeah you know and look at how uh, how that works internationally it's the same thing you know Hmm. we come into these countries we take over we're in charge you know we have again this kind of hubris right which backfires every single time by the way yeah we keep doing it because economically it makes sense to keep selling the arms to keep keep these wars Mm. going Mm -hmm. it perpetuates the the economy to a large degree and that's how messed up things are is Mm. that the way for things to profit is by having wars, by laying people off. That's when Wall Street responded. The, the Ebola thing I thought was amazing. The only tangible thing that really came out of the Ebola fear was that the, the bio stocks skyrocketed because they were working on cures. Mm. So people got rich off of the Ebola scare. Right, you know? of course. And there's always that shock doctrine type of thing. You right. Know? Oh, so, God. I didn't even consider a financial side of that. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's shocking, it's, but it's true. It's really true. It's like the only, and the only really tangible thing that happened. Yeah. You know, there was fear and the quarantine and they're doing this, they're not doing that, they're checking this. It's going to fall away. The media's going to get bored with it. Yeah. And it's going to stop being reported on. But, but underneath the surface, there were companies that that became wealthy as a result of that fear. Wow. You know? Going back to religious, yes. uh, religious a little bit, are you okay on time? I'm totally cool. Okay. I have no idea what time it is. <laughs> Me neither. I've lost track. Yes, the hawk, what time it is, he says, it's now. Exactly. <laughs> but the, the thing with, uh, with religious that I remember, it's nice to hear you say 
those things that we can take down, the truck stop Bible studies and that right, stuff, right. are the literal understanding of mythology. Right. So I, I look at the myth as the guy pointing at the moon. And yes. when we're kind of in that movie, we're kind of making fun of the guy pointing. Yes. Not, not necessarily the moon. Right. Meaning the moon meaning some other sort of well, esoteric mo- truth. Again, the moon, it depends how deep you want to look at it. I think a, a lot of people just don't want to do the deep thinking mm. that's required to get to, to glean. You want the McDonald's faith. That's right. People want a surfacey thing and they want Jesus to be American and they want him to be white <laughs> and they want him to be strong like a superhero. Yeah. They want a superhero Jesus, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And like an action hero, you know, and that's that's what we 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 bolster ourselves with with that Jesus, you yeah. know, and um and look, that's the thing. Jesus is sort of the miracle of Jesus, the resurrection. Without the resurrection, you would have had a modest person who had some real good insights into human behavior and how to treat each other. Right. The resurrection turned it into this Christianity, into a faith, you know, into a faith. It was this miracle. You know, it's all resting on well, there, that. There were other rabbis. And they can't let go of it. That's right. <laughs> they can't let go of it because if they let go of it, the whole fucking thing collapses. Right. But when you encounter somebody that has a more uh, new agey, let's yes. say new agey yes. instead of evolved because evolved sounds better, just a more, yes. a different approach to Christ consciousness or whatever it is and be like, uh, I say this a billion times, but it blew my mind and this might be the first time they're hearing it, is that idea that Christ's death and resurrection is a metaphor for our own surrender and then our own rebirth. There, again, the Catholic Church, there are some enlightened religious leaders who understand that and believe that. Right. Most people don't. Most people don't want to hear it. Most people don't want to see it as a metaphor. Most people want to take it literally. And beyond that, even the people that use it as a metaphor, they have to be asked the question, this is the question that we ask the religious a lot, mm-hmm. and Bill asked, and that we still both ask a lot, is, you know, do you believe, do you believe that Jesus actually existed? You know, that's the first question. And the truth is that all the research, all the credible research, is that Jesus himself, the, the very existence of Jesus was a myth. Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus of Nazareth did not <laughs> exist, because there was a lot, you know, people think, oh, the ancient times... They had journalists, they had historians, yeah. they had people writing the news of that day in Jerusalem. Right. When Jesus, and they have historians who wrote very, very credible versions of history right. about that time. Jesus isn't mentioned anywhere. It, just Josephs. Yes, ex- exactly. There jo- were plenty of. I'm abbreviating Josephus, jo- like people jo- know. Yeah. Josephus <laughs> yes, but was the one mention jo- of jo- Jesus of Nazareth. No, but that, that, jo- that Josephus, that's who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Josephus. I always said Josephus. Yes, well, if, they, if it worked where you were, then fine. You <laughs> Don't know. change me. Um, I'm sure his name isn't either one of those things. <laughs> that's probably the truth of it. Yeah. But that, that one reference he has to that Jesus was found to be actually a forgery. No. That they keep trying to push like the, like mm. the Shroud of Turin. Yeah. You know, there is no real, tangible, credible proof that he existed and that's the first thing that has to be dealt with is like he probably was a mythological character made up of a lot of other myths that yes. came before it that were swirling around the just Jerusalem like, at the time just like the flood story being exactly. in the Mesopotamian exactly. writings and all that sort of stuff the, Did, the book to read by the way it, it. Is, the, is the Joseph Campbell book Hero with a Thousand Faces. I, I love Joseph Campbell. I've been lifting from him this whole conversation. Yes, he, he is, because he's the one that tells the story about how the virgin birth, the resurrection, the yeah. flood. Well, that's exist, a great part of your movie. Exist in all, yes, exactly. Yeah. Exist in all societies. That part blew my All cultures, off. yeah. So fascinating. But here's, what, here's the thing. So when did that, when did Religious come out? 
It doesn't matter. 2008. A while ago. Mm -hmm. So I remember seeing it and and getting that message going like, oh, it's all horseshit and all that sort of stuff. Now, the thing that I'm not going to say it was missing from the movie, but the thing that I'm hearing you say now is, okay, it's horseshit. But when we say, let's say Jesus didn't exist, I don't feel bad at all. Right, right, right. I feel because the thing that I'm 35 years old and just no one was saying to me was just because something is a myth or a metaphor and not – empirically true right and not journalistically true doesn't mean it's false right it is false i'm not saying it's not false but it's pointing to it's, something it's that both. language it can, can't it touch it can be both but you have to remember that that's an extremely rare <laughs> yes rare insight and understanding into that uh-huh. into that process most people again won't go that far with it they just want jesus to heal them right they just want jesus is with me right now you know it's like they get a home run and it's like thanks to jesus you know it's like jesus is a, jesus is like a cheap trick you know yeah. what i mean and and that's the majority of people in this country when it comes to christianity is people who yeah. who believe in Jesus as this American action hero have no real understanding of the historical Jesus right. of that period of why his, his sayings came along or even the historical reality of how those different writers in those different eras put together something cohesive oh, enough hundreds of years later yes or 50 years later at well, least at least 50 years yeah, yeah. later right probably more like 200 years right, later right, in a right. lot of cases right. how they put together this thing and agreed on this thing that in became a world the bible I... you can't agree on a sitcom script right. you can't get the writers to agree on that. but they were able to agree on this thing and but it, then Nicaea and, and we're cutting things you know th- storylines whole storylines were cut whole books whole books whole books are gone yes and that's now, true and then we find them and Joseph Campbell is yes. a big believer in reading the gospel of Thomas and all yes, that sort of stuff yes. I mean, those are those are fascinating those because are good they give ones. alternate versions. Because here's of the what same it does: is it take, and this is another Joseph Campbell thing. He says, "Read other myths. If you were raised Christian, if you were raised right, Jewish, right. whatever it is, read Buddhism. Yes, because you won't read it with the burden." Of truth, historical truth, yes. and then you might begin to see past the picture. That's so true, right? I mean, and, the, and their stories are the Mahabharata, for instance, for instance, which sure. is a Hindu tale, uh, fantastic. You know, like like the Bible, great yeah. story, great characters, great life lessons, things that really resonate with yeah. you, but not pretending to be That's right. a true story. Well, it's you know. the same thing with uh, the Buddha. Is they said that Siddhartha, nobody ever thought that he existed. Right. It was just, it was just right. common. Because yes. you said it yourself. This is a time without science, and it's we're right. so we're t- we're we're bogged down by two things: ethics, right yes. and wrong, and then also just like true and false. Yes, we are dualistic. Yes, we, we have left the Garden of Eden. Yes, the Garden of Eden being this place where there was no dualism: man, right. woman, right, wrong, naked, clothed, God, human, and now we're out. And we're on this other side. Well, even the Garden of Eden, there's, there's a great book called The Book of Jay. It's written by um, Harold Bloom. And he basically analyzes the Book of Genesis, which was probably written by a woman. Or at least a woman did a pass at it. It is kind of um, naggy. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, um, I thought that would be a bigger <laughs> laugh, to be honest. <laughs> well, Katie Katie's in the room. Yeah. She um, but the, uh, the, Book of Jay. the story of Garden of Eden, for instance, is very interesting. The original story, as it was first written, was actually a progressive story about basically these two figures, Adam and Eve, who were kind of immature and having an easy time of it. Like they were slackers in the Garden of Eden, mm. hanging out, eating fruit, fucking, whatever the hell they were doing. Sure. And that the <laughs> snake actually forces them out to become like adults. Yep. And that you have to leave the Garden of Eden but see, to grow up. That's Joseph Campbell. Right. And, if, but, the, if, but the story got 
messed with over the years until it became a story about judgment yep. of, of seeing each other naked nope. that is bad and the snake was it's, bad and you it's know, the banished. It's, you're in the pre-place. So yes. if you and I came from somewhere where all the souls are swimming around, there's the 10,000 willy shakes that have been cut up. Right, right. We're all in this pre-place where we don't yet have our human form. That's right. the Garden of Eden. Right. There is no duality and the snake doesn't offer the, the tree of knowledge or good. He offers the tree of good and evil. Right, So right. you eat it and they realize that they're naked. Right. And then they get kicked out of the womb right. and that's life right. that's and now you have to supposed, deal with it that's what the original metaphor was yeah. this is the way life is supposed that's to the work way, and that's the way life begins instead, for everyone instead the story is oh my god they saw each other naked yep. they get punished right. and god is they mad get at banished, you they lose their immortality yeah. they lose everything they really right. fucked it up for everybody right. Right, right, right. So. but the sna- even the snake is uh, they talk about the snake being so close to the earth he's, he's bound to the earth he's inviting them yes. to the earth yes. he's not a bird he's right not- right exactly God, they talk about God, the character of God, just being a visitor of the garden. Well, in Book of <laughs> J, they, they they kind of explore the God, also the evolution of God in the stories, because the original God, the God of uh, of the Book of Genesis, very jealous, very oh, immature. Yeah. You're you're going out with some other God. Yeah, and I'm gonna fuck you now. You I'm gonna know? I'm gonna kill yeah, ten thousand. I'm gonna kill everybody. Yes, yeah. like rages and temper tantrums. Because he's a character. He's a character exactly, and then he <laughs> evolves into this more benign God who loves his people. It's funny whatever, that you, you know? say that because I, it's another Richard Rohr thing. He looks at the book of Bible, the book of Bible, the Bible. <laughs> also known as the book of Bible. <laughs> as another metaphor, the big picture metaphor yes. for the human life. Yes. You start afraid of your parents and everything's, you're out of control. Uh, I completely agree with that. And well, you look end... at the last book, the book of Revelations yeah. about the apocalypse. We all have our personal apocalypse because we're all going to die. Yeah. We're all going to have a version of the apocalypse. We're all living the coming apocalypse. Right. Internally. That's we just a don't realize that's it. That's going to come true and for sure. And that's the end of the Bible is that story, you know. So <laughs> I, I totally buy into that. For sure. And, and you, so lights out when dead, dead over. I, you know, I don't want it to be that way, of course. Yeah. You know, I want it to be, I'd rather be like like some corny 1930s movie with the angel wings and a white thing and live in a cloud. <laughs> I, I would prefer that. Yeah. But I don't, I just have trouble buying it. You know? When you, uh, Bumpy Plane, you're not worried about judgment. See, I was raised in that way that right. I'm Well, about I was too. I, I went to Hebrew school. I it was Bar Mitzvah. I, had I, a very, the... I went to an Orthodox Hebrew school. I was very serious. Yeah. I wanted to be a rabbi at one point. Yeah. You know, but again, the rabbis were not enlightened people where I went to Hebrew school and yeah. they really when I would ask questions like why did Cain survive or why did God allow Cain to kill Abel mm-hmm. they would just throw me out <laughs> they'd just kick me out of the class and I'd sit <laughs> in a darkened <laughs> temple they'd, they'd throw you into this gigantic temple uh, that was dark no. and you had to sit in the darkness of the gigantic temple and, and think, think about, about why God let I, that I, one die and eventually you start thinking this is bullshit because yeah. you go in there initially and think oh, I'm going to get thunderstruck or God's going to come to me now and then as you start to get a little bit old you realize nothing's going to happen just fucking stuck in the dark here and you stop believing in god you know they, the opposite of what <laughs> yeah, they wanted exactly they put you in his house alone exactly. they they were a failure in my case yeah fa- and most kids that i grew up with their bar mitzvahs were their last gasp yeah of judaism they had had it by then and they it comes out in a singing cracking voice right but they do a lot of them do return because as you start to get older you start to see death you see down the hill and you see yes and suddenly that's a comfort when you see down the hill yeah. Return to it. I have not. I won't. Yeah. But friends of mine have. Wow. Yeah. Well, you might return to see Jewish people, uh, assuming you would go back to Judaism, can benefit from that cultural. I'm culturally Jewish. I well, like that, that Rosh Hashanah. I, I like Yom Kippur. Right. Yeah, I don't even celebrate those things anymore. I don't. I don't. Uh, 
Yeah, and not that they're – and again, they're never – it's like it, they're not really celebrations. Yom Kippur is actually a really sad day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, there's no real – there's, uh, you know, Shavuos or whatever. Yeah. Tu B'Shvat. There's a lot – you know, I, I used to do them all, you know. Wow. I used to build the sukkahs. You know, I had to do the whole thing. For Sukkot? Yes. Well, see, I learned the old Hebrew. I'm much older than you, obviously. Yeah. When I was learning Hebrew, it was a Shabbos, yeah. not Shabbat. Yeah. It was Sukkot. They had the S's yeah. at the end yeah. instead of the T's. Interesting. And then at some point in the 60s, it turned into this new Hebrew, yeah. which is what you were just speaking. Well, what, what's Passover? Pesach? 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 No, no. I don't even know what that is. That's a, <laughs> that's a that's, video that's game a, platform. That's an astro- astrological sign, isn't it? <laughs> Do you believe in any of that? Astrology? See, we're, we're Joseph Campbell sometimes loses me, and that's something I've never said, is he talks about everything being a metaphor, meaning all, yes. all magic yes. is a metaphor. Reincarnation, that's a metaphor. Uh, healing, yes. that's a metaphor. Uh, I tend to agree with him about that. I, yeah. think that. I think that we've tried to explain our existence to ourselves, and we use the metaphors that we can concoct mm. with the intelligence that we have to sort of describe certain experiences, even things like... And we still use heaven and hell. When we talk about heaven, we're talking about up there. We talk about mm-hmm. hell. We talk about but there's no up there and down there. Mm-hmm. The earth is revolving. You in can the point of that space. way, and it's still exactly, up. exactly. But we still do it. We still yeah. do it. Yeah. People are looking up. They're looking up because even that's when they a hit the home run. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. a comfort. You should point down. Right. Well, and they don't. And it's like again, I know some other comedian must have said it, but you know, if they get out, yeah, if they make it out, they don't point down. Yeah, they don't go well, hell. <laughs> the devil, you know, the devil made me get out. You know, so I want to do that. Yeah, I'm sure someone has actually, but um, that that's the way that's the way it works. It's like God, God is like sort of this uh, all purpose product. Yeah, that's what God is. That's what Jesus is. An all purpose product to be used as you need to use it. Right. But the reality of it is very very different. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah, I mean, he did have some PR cleanup. We have made him white. We have made him muscly. Completely in this country, especially. Right. We co opted. Jesus, really. We yeah. have co-opted Jesus and forced him upon people. I mean, to me, it's always ironic when you see in, in Africa, in like third world countries, you know, black people worshiping uh, the white Jesus. Right. You know, it's like it's there's no there's no sense of that's been they've been indoctrinated the same way. Everybody right. gets in the, they get you as a kid. Mm. And they try to indoctrinate you. And yes, some people don't quite catch on. They become like the runaways, like right. Logan's Run or something, right. you know. Or you alone in the temple. Yes, exactly. Me alone <laughs> in the temple. But a lot of people sort of find find their lives by attaching to that. Yeah. You know? It's interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like we – God, I love talking about that stuff. Is there yeah. any comedy stuff you want to cover that we didn't touch? I mean, you're such a wealth – what do you like to talk about? I could say, tell me a Seinfeld story. I could say, tell me what it was like doing Borat. Well, I like, ta- I like talking I mean, about this. I like whatever. To me, this conversation is this conversation. Whatever yeah. you want to talk about, I'm happy to talk about. I could tell you Borat stories. I could tell you Seinfeld stories. <laughs> I have stories about all those things. I have great Bob Dylan stories. Yeah, tell me you a know. Bobby D story because I know nothing about it. All right. Him. Very, I was just thinking about this morning. Uh, um, originally, Bob was interested I got a call that he was interested in doing he had been on the road he's on this endless tour yeah he's on this tour all the time he lives on a bus really most of the time interesting and he's got a TV this is back in the in the in the uh, 90s he's got a TV in the bus and he watches movies and he gets into certain genres of movies and he gets like addicted to them and just watches every single one of them yeah and he had been watching Jerry Lewis movies <laughs> and he had gotten deeply into Jerry Lewis and he wanted to make a slapstick comedy. <laughs> no way. Yes. And Bob Dylan's the kind of guy, again, learned a lot from him. And he was like, he just trusts his instincts. No matter how crazy it might seem to anybody else, yeah. he does what he thinks. 
that's what he wants to do. Right. He doesn't think about the consequences of it. So he wants it's what to, he has to do, going that's back what, to what That's what he has to like, do. Exactly. I, I've received the golden phone call, so and I have to make exactly. a Exactly. So suddenly now he's obsessed with, with a slapstick comedy like a Jerry Lewis thing, and he wants to do it as a TV series for HBO. So I'm called in to meet with him. From executive producer Bob Dylan? And then somebody gets no, hit with a two-by-four? No, he's in it? He would be in it. Yes, he'd be the star of it. He wanted to star in it. Like, you, almost like a Buster Keaton or something, you know? That's a lot of bus movie time right there. Really It crazy. seems like a yes. dream sequence. Yes. Well, the, the whole experience is very dreamlike. <laughs> yeah. So... I go to meet with him, and in my mind, I'm going, like, I'm meeting Bob Dylan. This is fantastic. I'm going to have one meeting with Bob Dylan. Yeah. Nothing's going to come of it. I could tell all my friends I met Bob Dylan. Yeah. And that's all I'm really looking to accomplish from this. Yeah. Is have a story to mm-hmm. tell about Bob Dylan. I go see him. <laughs> he owns a boxing gym in Santa Monica. I meet him in the back of the boxing gym in a cubicle. He's chain-smoking the whole time. The cubicle's completely... Like, have you ever been in one of those airports with a little smoking kiosk? Yeah, yeah. It's like that. It's just completely smoke-filled. <laughs> He says to me, um, his assistant comes over and goes, you guys want something to drink? And, and it's, it's, it's attached to this coffee house. So, so I say, yeah, I'll, I'll have, just have a nice coffee. And he goes, I want something hot. I want a hot beverage. I want a hot beverage. Because that's sort of how he talks. He talks in this very ornate way. And so they bring a hot coffee for him, like a cappuccino or something. They bring the iced coffee for me. And they put, it to get, they put him together in the middle of the table. And he immediately grabs my iced coffee and starts drinking the iced coffee. <laughs> and I'm watching him drink it, and I'm not touching the other thing. I didn't want the other thing. And finally, he almost finishes my drink, and he goes, well, why aren't you drinking your drink? It's like, you're drinking my drink, you know? And he, <laughs> he, he, he kind of laughed. He laughed, and that kind of broke the ice. No. Strangely enough. And then he took out this ornate. This is like, it's like a going to see a sorcerer. <laughs> Because it's like all a test. Like, like he drank my drink. How would I react? That's right. Like Lorne Michaels almost. Yes. He brings out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lorne Michaels is a different case. Um, he brings out this very ornate, beautiful box like a sorcerer would. <laughs> and he, o- he opens the box. He opens the box and dumps all these pieces of scrap paper on the table. And they're all again like a sorcerer, like a sorcerer. It's like, is he going to conjure something and make? And, and and yes, that is what he. That's exactly what he does. Every piece of scrap paper was from a, it was a hotel, hotel stationery, little scraps like from Norway and from you know Belgium and Brazil and places like that. And each little piece of paper had a line, like some kind of little line scribbled or a name scribbled, Uncle Sweetheart mm. or a weird poetic line. Or an idea, or whatever, and he's like, he's like, I don't know what to do with all this, and I'm like, well, you know, you could, t- for some reason, I was able to go, you know, you could take this. This is a line, and this is the character, and then this character could say this line. He said, you could do that, and it's like, yeah, yeah, you could do that. He's like, because I realized that's how he writes songs. He takes these scraps and he puts them together and makes makes his poetry out of that. You no. know, yeah, he has all these ideas, and then just in a kind of a subconscious or unconscious way he lets them kind of synthesize Hmm. into a coherent thing Hmm. and that's how we wound up writing also (laughs) we wound up writing in a very uh, like cut up technique we would just take scraps of paper put them together try to make them make sense try to find the story points within it and we finally wrote we wrote like a very elaborate treatment for this slapstick comedy which was filled with surrealism and all kinds of things from his from his songs and stuff wow so we say to Bob, if we go to HBO, if you come to HBO with us, you will definitely, we'll definitely sell the project because they won't have the balls to say no to you, yeah. to your face. Yeah. And he agrees. That's so, great. 
So we, we go to this. He HBO has awareness movie. of his own ego. He's yes. like, you're right. If so I'm there, we go. That's right. He's <laughs> he, he has he has a, he has incredible awareness. He knows he, that Bob Dylan. He, yes. Oh, and we'll he, send Bob even Dylan. Even if he puts a, a, a mask on. Yeah. Because I've seen people come up to him and say, "Oh, can I tell you? You know, asking a question. You know, why did you go electric? And I've seen him just stare at them and not give them an answer. And then just walk away. <laughs> like he's okay with that level of discomfort. Oh my you know? god! That he could like you could ask him a question to his face. He could just stare at you and walk away and not feel compelled to go. I don't want to answer it. I don't remember. You know, sometimes look with me. He would say, "I don't remember." Right. That was another way he got out. Why did you go electric? I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> That's what he would say. He would say things like, "Why did you go electric?" <laughs> I was like, "Why did I go electric?" You know, I was like, "I love that culturally we still haven't replaced Dylan going electric." Yeah, it still yeah, gets it's still, It works. It works. <laughs> but, but he would often turn turn it on you. You know, why why did you go electric? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you know, he would ask these questions that would kind of come back and crack your mind. Over. Uh, One time he said to me, uh, he said uh, he had a line about a pig (laughs) wearing a wig. And I said, Bob, I was comfortable enough to say, Bob, even in this thing, that doesn't make any sense. No one's going to understand that. And he said, what's so bad about misunderstanding? Uh It's like, wow. That was a heavy one because we are yeah. striving all the time to be understood. Yeah. He's been understood. He's more interested now in what happens when you're misunderstood. Well, he's like a comedian who only kills and now he just wants to go up and alienate Exactly. He's like Andy Kaufman or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, you know, It was very, very kind of conceptual. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So we wrote this thing. We went to the We went to the <laughs> meeting. He showed up for the meeting. At that time, by the way, I was only wearing pajamas. Everywhere I went. Good for you. I used to just wear pajamas. <laughs> I had worked at Mad About You for two years. I started wearing pajamas. I just used to go to everywhere I went. My kids, I would take my kids to like events and I'd be wearing pajamas. <laughs> I, I probably was having a nervous breakdown and didn't realize it, but I wore pajamas everywhere I went. <laughs> but I was comfortable doing it. I was so comfortable. It was great. It was great. <laughs> so I show up for the meeting in my pajamas. Bob? That is the only way to bring a gun to a gunfight. You're oh, going man. into Bob Dylan, and he's yeah. going to say pig in a wig, and, and you're like... And speaking uh-uh. of a gunfight, he shows up for the meeting at HBO in, no. a, in a, black, a black cowboy hat, a black floor-length duster, black boots. He looks like, you know, Cat Baloo or something. Oh, my God. He looks like a Western guy who's carrying six guns, you know? <laughs> we stride down the hall at HBO, if you can imagine that scene. Yes. I'm, like, with my, my hair is, like, super long, beard, like, down <laughs> to my belly button in fucking pajamas. <laughs> and Bob Dylan's dressed like a cowboy from a movie. Yeah. We go into the meeting, and Chris Albrecht, who is the president of HBO, says, Bob, oh, so great to meet you. Look, look, I have the original tickets from Woodstock. And Bob goes... I didn't play Woodstock. And then he walks over to the other side of the office, which has floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking the city, and he proceeds to have his back turned to us through the entire meeting. No. He never turns around. I have to start pitching this, this thing. Because of the Woodstock comment? Yeah, he just was like, he was, on, he was just, he, this is who he is. It's like Gavin Pallone. Gavin Pallone was there, who was uh-huh. my manager at the time. He was like, He's like a retarded child. You know, that's what, wow. that's what, it's like, but I, so I would go like, well, we, Bob is going to do this. Bob's Bob gonna, is a right, special Bob? needs yeah. child. And, and at the end, ironically, despite all the discomfort, they bought the project. No. Indeed. They bought the project. We go out to the elevator. Bob's manager, Jeff, my manager, Gavin, me and Bob, the three of us are elated. We actually saw the project and Bob says, I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> What? He says, I don't want to do it anymore. It's too slapsticky. He's like, not into it. That's over. 
The slapstick phase has officially ended. He saw a billboard when he was looking out that window He's for, not into for it. True Detective. not into like, it anymore. <laughs> and Gavin Pillow said to me, you've got to get out of this. And I'm like, look, I'm on the Bob Dylan train. I'm going to take this train wherever it takes me. Yeah. And we wound up rewriting that into like a kind of a serious movie. <laughs> and that's what we wound up shooting. Oh, my God. Yeah, which took another year to do that. Yeah, yeah. everything takes forever. Oh, my God. When my you're God. telling these stories and you're like, it was a year before Seinfeld got made as oh, a pilot. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah. Which is okay when you're in your 20s and 30s. As you get into your 50s, yeah. that kind of time like, hey, is like you. scary, man. Yeah, fuck you. Like, um, that is amazing. You made me think of a good Bob Bob Dylan story. Neil Diamond apparently was on before him and had a, a good Neil Diamond set. And on the way out, he says to Bob Dylan, he goes like, follow that. And uh, Bob Dylan goes, what, am I going to fall asleep out there? Like, like how? Should I fall asleep out there? Yeah, yeah. He's I not, couldn't believe he's that. He's not concerned with those kind of things at all. In fact, he at that time was touring like with the Phil Lesh band or different bands, and he would actually open for them. Mm. And everybody would go, why is Bob opening for them? You know? And yeah. it's like because he likes to do his show 8 o'clock, be done by 9 o'clock, be back in the bus, and on to the next town. Mm. He doesn't want to do that second show. He doesn't want to be out that late. Right. So he gets to do his thing. He gets paid the same. That reminds me of Seinfeld. I'm not just forcing Seinfeld yeah, back no, into please, it. Yeah, please, please. I just heard a, a conversation with him, or a friend told me that he had a conversation with him where he's just like, you make it and you travel better and you eat, yes. and you eat nice. Yes. That's, yes. But that's it. Yeah. It's, again, that savant thing. He's like, I want to tell jokes. Yeah. I want to be – we can control certain things and well, if we can still be done us, by nine. Ultimately, no matter what the trappings are that change externally, right. we're still us carrying the same issues that we've always carried unless we try to process them. That's right. You know, so you see why people self-destruct. You see it happen in Hollywood all the time. You see it in the world all the time. Yeah. You see world leaders self-destructing like Hussein or, you know, Gaddafi, people like right, that. You right, right. They can't keep it together. It's very hard for people to keep their shit together. Yeah. And if they do, they're still going to die at some point anyway. I think, you know? yeah. <laughs> you salty dog. You brought yeah. it back somehow. <laughs> it had been a minute. Yes, yeah, sorry. I think one of the reasons why Seinfeld is, is a hero to me, not just as comedy, but I think he is embracing that sort of like, in the same way that Larry does, uh, is like, that's how I feel and I'm going to say it. And and yeah. that's why I think he's he's like been an old person they his are, whole life. They are both cool. <laughs> they're cool because they're not trying to be cool. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. They are truly cool guys. They are who they are, <laughs> and they really don't give a shit what you think. You know? Yes. I think Jerry has kind of grown into that mantle more. Yeah. Where Larry was kind of always. Well, that, that story of Larry like, going up at Stand Up New York, looking at the crowd, and then just walking just off. Just walking off. I see him That's do like that. That's like Bob Dylan. I was, I was there on a night when he did that. Yeah. I, I saw him spit, spit at the audience. <laughs> I saw him throw down the microphone. No. Oh, I've seen him uh, do a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. so interesting. He was like the Johnny Rotten of comedy to a large degree. Interesting. Yeah. And yeah. I think guys like Larry, it's who needs this perspective? But this is my perspective. Yes. These guys like Larry, these kind of rule breakers outside the line uh, – for lack of a better term, we'll say lunatics. I don't really think that. Sure, of But course. almost in the compliment. I understand, yes. These, like, rock and roll guys. Yes. You want to say Johnny Rotten? Which, by the way, he hated rock and roll. He hates rock of and roll. Of course he does. Yes. <laughs> 50s communist Russia, that's like his last era. That he's uh, the Cold War. He loves the Cold War. Eh, rock and roll. No, yeah. Not into it. No, not into it. So you have that kind of divisive, shake it up. Yes. Fuck NBC. Fuck the show. Yes. I want to quit. Yes. And then you have someone, again... 
a little bit more like a Superman. I know Seinfeld is uh, obsessed with Superman. Yes, yes. But as that's, we all were. As that's we all were. Is that right? Oh, yeah. All, uh, Larry and myself, we were all massive Superman fans and always thought of the show as kind of our version of Superman in some that's weird interesting. way. interesting. Yeah, and the Abbott and Costello show. It was kind of merging the Abbott and Costello show, which was a crazy little yeah. series, with Superman. I mean, to a large degree of that. <laughs> and, again, inadvertently, I think it was a synthesis. Those were the two things that were, we were yeah, obsessed with. Yeah, that's know? so weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And something that like... I feel like if I read that, that you said that, I'd be like, well, he didn't mean that. He's right, been misquoted right. No, here. I can show you where the Superman element exists yeah. and where the Abner Costello element exists and how they synthesized inadvertently yeah. into the show that became Seinfeld. You know, I, I wasn't planning on talking about that. I don't like Superman, and I'm not just saying that to debate. I bet you have a very different relationship. A very different. It was you grew mainly up with comic, comic books. books. It was yeah. the co- old comic books yeah. long before the, 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 whatever they call Batman, the Black Knight. or Yeah, Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. You know, Batman and Superman were sort of like very bland characters. We didn't right, know any better. Right, you know? right. what, what, what blew our mind comic-wise was like Zap Comics. These underground comics came along f- by R. Crumb and people yeah. like that, fueled by drugs, taking these cliches of this of the comics and exploding them. That right. was very exciting. The National Lampoon, yep. very exciting. You know, so but Superman, yeah, Superman was like embedded in our brains. That's why it was a metaphor. For us at that time. First of all, it was created by two Jews. Was you it? Know, yes. And so this is a whole kind of metaphor about Clark Kent having to pass. He, the Jew oh, having no. to pass as the Uber man. You I know, didn't like, know this. Oh, yeah. So there's all that kind of la- layers to it. And I the S also. stands for Shiksa? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's what he's been looking for. That's, that's, that's what, what Lois... Lois yeah. Lane's Lane, half. Her mother was Jewish. It's that's so interesting. Was. I was just thinking about why, again, I'm, I'm saying growing up with a different relationship to yes, Superman. Yes, you You probably grew up at a time with the movies. movies and... Yeah, none of that really... The TV show was a cheesy yeah. TV show, but for some reason it was on so much... Yep. That it just we could we could I get quote it. it. That's how we I am use, with nine hundred two one zero. Exactly. We, we, <laughs> but we'll use. I'm sure you do this, and a lot of people do it with their with the thing that's their thing. Yeah. But we would just use quotes from Superman to describe situations. Yeah. Like someone would go, "What do you think about this?" And you just say, "No comment until the time limit is up." That was a lie from Superman, <laughs> just to add a context that we would love to say. You know? Yeah. So now a, Superman to me, that's so funny. Superman to me is I saw a black shiny big fuck off pickup truck yeah and i know i'm a goy and the serious man i'm supposed to be the neighbor i'm not the guy but i relate more to the guy yeah. you know what i mean yeah sure and i i see that black shiny pickup truck first of all pickup trucks just intimidate me in general yeah, if I may. i'm from brooklyn i never saw a pickup truck until <laughs> i was like you know 18 years old so you see the black shiny pickup truck big pickup truck and uh he's just got the superman logo on the back window, and then he's got it on the thing you hook up a fucking regular car yeah, to tow yeah, it. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's what Superman is to me. A non-complex, non-vulnerable idiot who's – the twist is always kryptonite, and Lex Luthor is a fucking hack. Right, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like, that's my but, uh, but what I'm telling you is that, like, take that take that image you just described. Now yeah. add long hair and a bear, beard. Yeah. Uh, sandals instead of the boots, and you got Jesus. <laughs> It's exactly ah, the description no, of the I American know. Jesus. I you know. know. That's true. That's what's so scary. When they do those movies and they're all horseshit, the, he's gonna the beat, new movies. He's going to beat the living hell out of the Satan. You know? Yeah, it's that's not, right. He's not like, that's how good triumphs over evil with your fists. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. That's right. Throwing lightning bolts. He bashes things, it you know? down. Yeah. Uh, any sign? I'm fascinated with Seinfeld. I, I sure. can eat up anything. The man. Sure. It doesn't have to be the show. Just I just find that guy to be, he's one of my heroes. 
Jerry also was somebody who had a tremendous amount of integrity. He still does, obviously. I don't mean that in the past Wait, tense. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he is a very admirable character, and I will be forever in debt to him for, you know, Larry had wanted to hire me. Yeah. And Jerry supporting that. Yeah. Opening that door for me was life changing. Hire the events. guy in the PJs. Yes, exactly. I wasn't, wearing, I wasn't wearing the pajamas quite yet at that point. I was, yeah. I was, I was evolving to the pajamas. But you weren't wearing the pajamas to the meeting to get I was, hired. I was wearing, I was wearing raggedy. I often wear raggedy fucking clothes. Yeah, and I look like a homeless bum. And I remember directing a Curb Your Enthusiasm down by the beach in Venice. Yeah, and going to the craft service table like I'm in a raggedy ah. army jacket and pajamas or ripped sweats or some shit. And I'm taking some food, and the guy going, "What the what the fuck?" You think you're doing? Yeah. And I go, what do you mean? I'm just taking some food. Get the fuck out. I say, I'm the director. Oh, yeah, you're the director. And they grab me and they start dragging no. me away. And my AD saw me being dragged away. Oh, my and God. Sa- and saved me. So that has happened to me. Well, you now. look like Father Yod. Well, now I'm kind of I've kind of grown into it. I think to yeah. some degree, you know. No, it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> I can't help it anymore. And uh, Jerry's still into that Zen stuff. These types of conversations that we're having now about spirituality. Jer- Jerry's somebody be- who can flow. You know, it's yeah. like you comedians. That's one of the great things. You get into flows. You know, you yeah. get into riffs. Yeah. You know, Jerry's always. You know, he used to walk in in the morning to the Seinfeld office and you'd be judged on your clothes. <laughs> you know, Jerry, Larry, you know, other guys that came along had very, very specific ideas about clothes. And if you had a new haircut yeah. or you were different, different shoes, Look at these you shoes. had to stop and be scrutinized <laughs> by everybody before yeah. you can move on. You yeah, know? yeah. So I like, these are, these are actually kind of, I know you weren't meaning the shoes. These are a little bit Larry Charles in that like, these are my, I don't give very, a fuck exactly, shoes. Exactly. I do not yeah, give yeah, a yeah. fuck. I have these now, these uh, new balance, yeah. like they're like slippers. That's See? what I'm saying. These yeah, are like slippers. Cool. Yeah, these are sla- yeah. sockless. I found the paj- I found the pajama equivalent. Yes, like these are basically like a this is like a pajama top. That's right. Really. I'm wearing like sweatpants. Yeah, and the slippers. Well, that's the Seinfeld you know, bit. Yeah, he's like at night you got to put on the you right. Got, exactly. You got the pockets and the yeah. And the well, they were Larry and Jerry were very very specific about their clothes. Very. Well, specific. that's a yeah. quote from the comedian DVD commentary. He's watching himself and he goes, "In the end, all my regret will all my regrets will be clothes." Yes, because yes. he's looking at some green shirt. Yeah, he, got he, had, the gap. he had a couple. <laughs> looks that were a little too pressed. He always had the pressed jeans, you know. Yeah. But that's that's who he was. I know. The the great thing about him was he didn't he, again, he didn't care that's it. that it might not seem hip. He wasn't concerned about those kind of criteria. But we're getting we're getting things are whitewashed and stuff and and I'm right. always talking to young comedians and talking about like when you get made fun of, pay attention. That's yeah, sure. gold. Whatever they say about you, like that's how you're coming off. And and you can go against it and be like, I'm not that. I'm like a put together this or that or that or I'm a ladies man or whatever yeah. you want to say. People don't see themselves as others as others see them. But you, you need to use that as power. You and Seinfeld need, yes. was like, I'm thin, clean, and neat. That's right. And that's people right. think I'm gay. And that's we're right. like, and off we go. Yes. And he was okay with that. And he cotton could, balls. He had no interest in changing it. And that's everybody. And yes. that's one. That's yes. we've come you know, to another meaning of life. The thing that changed him, I think. Was having children was was kind of embracing the family life. That was because when you get when you're very narcissistic as you're young, yeah, you don't need to share things anyway. You know, it's all yours, and you're still kind of grappling, and you're ambitious, and you have drive. Yeah, but the children kind of shift again. It's it's a level of consciousness that you don't even know you have. Until you have the children, and suddenly, wow! I never even thought about this before. Right now, I have to kind of add that I to my brain. I worry about you that. Know. You have children. I worry about I ha- that. I have a number. Yeah, you have a number of children. I have. I have four. That's a good number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're great. Also, despite everything I've done to destroy them, yeah, they're great kids. Well, actually. that's something I'm I've lucky, been talking about lately lucky. too. Is is fucking your kids up just right? 
Yeah, that's a good one because it's a very thin line. You know, yeah. how far to push before you've t- fucked them up too much. Right, right, right. You or know, not yeah. enough. Or not enough. It might be worse. Right, not enough. Right. That's a hard. That's a hard one. To but balance. how do you know the times in my life where I've flown first class and uh, I have a very vivid memory of watching a haggard dad yes. just kind of like shuffling down, holding like two kids. Nothing and, worse. Nothing worse than flying with your kids. Yeah, that's, well, that's a horrible. Experience. I feel like that's the thing that like yeah. when I think about children, I think about how beautiful they are and, and how they would open me up and blah blah blah. And oh, then I it's, think ho- about it's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> Having children is a horrible, horrible. It's also a transcendent experience. Yeah. But don't kid yourself. It is a horrible, horrible experience on many levels. You know, you first of all, you're going to start dealing with shit and vomit. Yeah. And things that, like it's nothing. Yeah. You're going to have to get used to it. I had a friend. I had a friend who I remember he was like the first guy, first writer I knew who had a kid and he was toilet training the kid. Yeah. And every time the kid took a shit, he'd vomit. So it's like that's the lesson this kid was getting from his toilet training was okay if I take a shit somebody's gonna vomit. <laughs> you know, it's like so, and, and, I, and and then the, when my kid started the shit it's like I, you understand uh, yeah you can vomit very easily and then if you don't if you don't adapt you're never you're never gonna make it you have to adapt to a lot of sh- it's like dogs too you have to adapt to a lot of things yeah that you, that you never really dealt well, I sometimes with. it's funny I'll be more reluctant to get a puppy than I would be to have if, if my girlfriend was like I'm pregnant I'd be like oh this is amazing. Right. If she was like, I got a puppy, I'd be like, but I, some, we want to go on the road sometime. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, that's true. I mean, you have an obligation. You, once you have other life to take care of, it changes things. Yeah. Know, whether it's a dog or a, a child, obviously different needs yeah. for each. But going but back to you. You can't leave them alone when you go on the road. But- you can't. <laughs> I'll be right back. I've tried it. It doesn't really. But going back to your dad, that your dad yes. kind of cashing in his chips, and yeah. I'm not saying your dad didn't do anything with his life. I'm just saying he had these show business aspirations. That did at your mother uh, with the singing. Yes. It seems to me like how did you manage to maintain a career in like this fucking impossible video game that we're playing? I, to a large degree, and this may sound harsh, I kind of used my father as an anti-role model I was like everything that he did I'll do the opposite and I'll probably you know I'll get to where I have to go I feel like that's you very know? common actually yeah I mean my father just you know, he gave up too quickly he didn't mm. really try hard enough he never really found something else that was fulfilling to him he kind of groped mm. most of his life and he's still alive but he as a little kid I was kind of like the little prince and he would take me. He still had friends from drama school who had stayed in show business, like Jason Robards, who played Ben Bradley in All the President's Men, mm-hmm. was his drama teacher. So I, he would take me to go see him backstage when he was doing a play in New York. Hmm. So I'd be backstage, and I was like, "Wow, backstage is fascinating." You know, mm-hmm. I was really very interested in how it was done. Mm-hmm. Like he had a friend who was the stage manager at the Ed Sullivan Show. And I used to go to the Ed Sullivan Show rehearsals and watch the rehearsals when I was a little kid. I'm talking about five, six, seven years old. Mm. And I was fascinated by the curtains and the cameras and the intricate infrastructure right. that went into the Beatles being on or that mm. kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, because all you saw was the finished product. Right. And that planted inadvertent again. There it is. Planted inadvertent seeds in my mind of like, wow, I'm fascinated with this aspect of show business, yeah. you know, not just the performing thing, but the infrastructure that yep. leads to it. Yeah. So he kind of did, and he was also like, he would be constantly quizzing me on trivia. Hmm. The Jimmy Cagney movie was on. I had to tell him who directed it, who wrote it. You know, it's no like way. that. He was always like, like quizzing me on trivia. Luckily, there were only ten people in show business back then. <laughs> yes, yeah, it, was, it was pretty easy. You're right. So I have like this encyclopedic knowledge. Yeah. 
because that's what he was interested in. And mm. He just he just inundated me with that kind of stuff, you know. So in a way, he did lay a foundation for me to have this interest in this thing. That's how, right. How to get from there to Talk there. Talk about indoctrinated. Yes, I was indoctrinated very yeah. much. In the, in the right, the religion of my house was show business. Yeah. You know, and that's what I was indoctrinated But then with. you're 30. What are you doing when you're 30? You had your first kid when you were 30. What are you 30, doing? 30, it's around the time I get on Seinfeld. Okay, so yeah. you've already been on Mad About You. No, Mad About You comes after. Oh, okay. What, what have you been on? You've been on Fridays. I, I did Fridays. So your career just started. I had a fallow. I, I I came out here. I got this interview with Fridays when I was 22 years old. How do you do that? This guy Darrow, I guess this black. I was I was a parking valet in Marina del Rey. I used to walk home to Venice. Yeah, I'd walk along the Strand there. You did a craft saw, service. Yeah, no, this is before craft <laughs> service. There wasn't even any Marina del Rey. I would park cars in Marina del Rey. I'd walk home to Venice where I lived, and walk along the beach. And one day I saw Darrow, I guess this tall, lithe black comedian who was in car wash and he's out there on the beach walking his dog and smoking a joint <laughs> and i go that's the guy from car wash and my father's training had gotten me to the point where i recognized people i, mm. I recognized people and what they did mm-hmm. i have a, a gift for that some weird like you know useless gift i don't know if you know nick kroll but nick kroll's like that yeah i, I don't know him but i'm not surprised some stand with him. nick kroll at a party yeah, and he'll yeah. be like that's the assistant to the assistant right, of this right. guy at WMB. But I, but I know like <laughs> actors and their obscure credits yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. writers. I used to look at. I used to memorize writers' credits hmm. on TV shows. Hmm. You know why? Why was I doing that? Right. You know, it's like it's because my father sort of indoctrinated me. It's like know? Jimmy Kimmel with Letterman. Like so he I went, knew everybody. I, yes, exactly. So I went up to I went up to Darrow Igus on the beach there. I said, hey, I'm a com- you know, I'm in my black and whites from parking cars. I'm all sweaty. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, I'm a comedy writer. You know, you want to buy some material, you know? And he's like, yeah, I'm looking for material. So I started writing material for him. His girlfriend, wife at the time, was a woman named Toy Gibson, great woman. She was the editor of Chic Magazine, which was owned by Larry Flint. Hmm. So I didn't think anything about Darrow at all. I just used to write material for him. But I thought, well, I could write comedy humor for like Chic or Hustler. And I started writing for those magazines also and making a little money <laughs> as a freelance writer for those things. And then this guy, Darrow, got cast on the show Fridays. And they were like, you know any young writers? And he's like, I know this guy, Larry Charles. What and are he, his credits? He uh, was on the beach. Darrow, I guess. <laughs> no, yeah, I meant he's talking yeah, you. No credits at all. Uh, and in fact, I hitchhiked. He got me the interview. Yeah. I hitchhiked to the interview, okay, because I didn't have a car. Um, I didn't have a typewriter. My material was all handwritten. Mm. Okay, this is like 1980, 1979. And I went to the interview, and Jack Burns from Burns and Tribe, who was a producer, and John Moffat, who had been the assistant director of the Ed Sullivan Show, when I used to go there as a little kid, he's the producer of the show and the director of the show, and I sit there with them. I have no credits whatsoever. <laughs> Jack starts to read my sketch out loud. I go, you're reading it all wrong. I take it back. I read the sketch. <laughs> And at the end of the at the end of the meeting, I said, "Look, thank you very much for seeing me. I don't really care whether you hire me or not. The only thing I care about is don't string me along. Let me know one way or the other." Where did the you other. get? I have no clue. <laughs> no clue. I have no clue. I don't know what what possessed me. Yeah, I didn't know any better. You didn't have a car. I didn't even have a car. I had to go hitchhike home. I suggest you're like don't fucking treat me like an right. ingrate, don't, and then you put your thumb out for a car. That's to all pick I you said. Up. To was don't treat me like an asshole. <laughs> just tell me one way or the other. If I have the gig, I get it. I may yes. not get the gig. Just let me know. Don't yeah. hang me up. A quick no is the second. I went to a back yes. to Hollywood. I got a ride. I went back to Hollywood. I got home. The phone was literally ringing when I got home. 
Shut I picked up. it up. I swear to God, Jack Burns is on the phone. He doesn't know that I didn't drive home. I had to like wait for a hitch. Right. So the phone's ringing. I pick it up. It's Jack Burns. He says, I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is I'm getting back to you quickly, and my heart sunk. Oh. And he said, the bad news is you're hired. Oh, shit. And I got up. hired. You know? I, got I love hired. those. That's one of the few pranks you know? I like. Yeah, I was a parking valet. I was a bellhop, and then sometimes I was a TV writer. <laughs> you know, literally that change in my life, that kind of sweeping, yes. sudden change. Yes. It was incredible. So incredible. joint smoking and dog walking is, is how you began. It, I used to – when I parked cars, a lot of people would leave their marijuana in the car <laughs> – and it's like the perfect crime to steal people's marijuana because they can't tell the cops, you know. So all the park, all parking valets everywhere, people who are listening, all parking valets will steal your pot. Oh, that's good. Yeah. If, or better drugs if you have them. Yeah, if it's around. Yeah, right, if it's around. Sure. Do you? Uh, so many questions. I feel like I should wrap up. Yeah, it's sure. Been a couple hours. Uh, I want to ask you about acid. We'll talk another time. We'll do another one. Let, yeah, anytime. Yeah, you're, you're a legend. I'm so glad oh, you did. Thank it. you. Thank you. Would you mind? Uh, do you remember the hardest like time? Most you've... legends, legends are false. We know. So, <laughs> so thank you. It all ends in death. I don't know if we've made that clear. The hardest time you've ever laughed. That's just a. The hardest time I've ever laughed. Wow, that is. I do laugh heartily quite a bit. I yeah. get to work with really super funny people. Yeah. So Larry Davis made. I think the probably the hardest I've laughed. <laughs> you know, it's not even so much where I laugh, but but being in the audience at the first friends and family screening of Borat. Yep. Was that's one, one of, of mine. That was incredible. The incredible. nude scene. When when we had this friends and family screening where we had all these celebrities like Ben Ben Stiller was there, yeah. Larry David was there, yeah. George Meyer, the executive producer of The Simpsons, who's a good friend of mine, who said it was like it was like the equivalent, the movie equivalent of Sgt. Pepper. Mm. You know, people said such incredible things. Larry David was standing up and yelling through the movie. You know, we had screenings where like I said, <laughs> what was he yelling? Mom. He was yelling, no, you know, like when they were uh-huh, like, uh-huh. no, no, you can't do that. You know, like yeah, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Harvey Weinstein <laughs> rolling in the aisles, you oh know. My God. Like I experienced that. I exper- I remember the first yeah. time and Sasha and I looking at each other like, wow, because it caught us by surprise how right. much people embraced it. You know, yeah. it's like, wow. We, it's just like again, like Seinfeld. We just stum- <laughs> we stumbled into something here. You did what you, you had know? to do. Yeah, we really stumbled into something. We tapped into something we didn't realize. Right. You know? Huge cock wrestling. Yes, yes, exactly. Right. Amazing. <laughs> amazing. And the guy, the other guy never really understood why it was funny. Ken. The other guy in the scene? The other guy in the scene was always like, why do I have to get naked? It's like, just trust me. Yeah. You have to yeah, get yeah, What's yeah, so yeah, funny yeah. about it? It's going to be funny. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Trust us. That. That's, yeah, that's yeah, funny. Yeah, that's funnier cool. than Sasha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but the, we, I remember looking at each other like, wow, this is crazy. People yeah. were screaming. It was like a horror movie. Yeah. You know, it was like that. No, was I, I was in New York and I saw it maybe opening weekend and it, I was, as it was happening – you know, you're a comedian. You're like nothing makes me right, right. Nothing of makes course, me laugh that hard, I, yes. and I laughed so hard. Yeah, yeah. And was... then I actually looked around. Yes, you know what I mean, because it was such an event. Yes, you had Larry David. I just had uh, you know a couple hundred people flipping out. Yeah, flipping out. I mean, I saw screenings where people you I would stand in the back and just watch everybody's heads yeah. shaking like it was a yeah, rock concert. Yeah. So it was real, super exciting. So I think when I think about big laughter, I think about those yeah. those screenings. They were just like a singular I can't, singular events. You know? I can't imagine the the combined joy of the laughter. It's so funny watching people and then being like I did that. Oh, my God. Well, you know, like, again, I try to remain modest. Yeah. I try to remain humble. Sure. So I try to, like, you know, not 
let myself get too caught up in that right, kind of right, feeling. Right. Bow but, before me. But still, it's very hard not. To, it's very hard not to be bursting with pride. It's it. Well, like it's it goes back to the meaning of life thing. Is like yes. you did that for a lot of people. Yes, and yes. all the pain. It's all take pain and make something good. That's a big thing. And the pain I agree. of smuggling yourselves into dangerous situations and nudity and, and uh, Sasha pushing people's buttons and all yes. that anxiety. Yes. That I know anxiety. he, even if he is a savant, which I'm assuming he is, he has to feel human feelings. Oh, my God. He, you talk about Sasha? Yeah. Oh, Sasha, you know, Sasha would have to, like, we would be ready to, like, launch him yeah. into a situation. He'd be like, hold on a second. I gotta take a shit. Yeah, and it's like I, I at first I didn't believe that he always had to shit before. Yeah, me. and then I realized he he he's, he's scared. He's Adre- scared shitless. Yeah, he's literally scared shitless. Yes. And then I started having sympathy for it. Yep, you know I understood. This guy has to go in there and pretend to be this person sometimes for eight hours. Yeah. Like, that's acting, man. Yeah. When you can stand next to somebody this close right. for eight hours right. and nobody detects that you're not who you say you are. Yeah. There's incredible feats of strength, right. you know? Right. Incredible things to watch. So, yeah, he does have a savant-like quality as right. well. Right. Yes, but very much still so. feels that. So your fear, you as the director, also involved. Is this guy going to get oh, yeah. killed? Yeah. You're doing Bruno. Am I going to get killed? Am I going to get, get killed? killed? Yeah. Who's, who's dying? Yeah. People are going to die. And there were many situations where that could have been the end result uh, from, from having him interacting with a bear yeah. which it bore out we had a yeah. we had two bears we traveled with who yeah. were pretty much unattended to a lot of the time yep. and we would have him sleep next to the bear the bear put his claw on his dick and I was like oh my god yeah. if this bear sneezes he's going to castrate him yeah. I'm going to be like John Landis or something you know it's like yeah. it's, this is going to be a, tra- a tragedy there's nobody around who's right. going to do anything about this you know and that's why when they're laughing and you feel a little bit of a I did something I did good that's why I'm going to green light your pride in, the, in that <laughs> Well, instance. it's also, thank you very much. I appreciate it. But it's also a very cathartic experience for the audience. It was yeah. an extremely cathartic experience, which was, which was really interesting to see. Right. Because I see it now, even to this day, the appreciation from the audience. I, I have a great relationship with the audience because they have seen I, I will do everything I can to give them the best I can. That's right. And they're very appreciative of that. So I have a good rapport with the people that are interested in my stuff. You yeah. Know, which, I, which is, I'm grateful for. Yeah. And again, it's a lucky thing yeah. to a large degree. You know. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. Talk about the Matrix and all the things we buy into, and this is the last thing. It's just so funny. Dicks are so funny. There's just there's dicks everywhere. Yes. And I think that's one of those things. Mostly hidden. Mostly hidden yes. for the most part. But it's just you like. You know they're there. But that's what it is. Yeah. That's to me. Sometimes when I'm on stage doing stand-up, I just like to say, think of how many dicks are in this room. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's right. It doesn't really work. But it's funny. That's it's right. funny. Well, you know what's weird? If I may add one more thing yeah, to that. Yeah, please. I was watching football with my girlfriend. And I've watched football for years. Yeah. But I'm watching my girlfriend, and through her eyes, she had some different perspectives that I did. And one thing that she noticed right off the bat was that the players, because in my mind, players wear jock straps. They wear, right. uh, you know, a, a cup of some kind yep. to protect their genitalia. And she's like, "Look at that guy!" And I'm looking at the running back, and you're seeing his cock flapping like this. In the and, and then suddenly we started looking at all the players, and nobody's wearing a cup anymore. All the players' cocks are – I'm telling you, watch watch football tomorrow. I looked it up after that because I was like, why why would they possibly expose their genitalia to all the damage and the injuries? And I looked it up, and it's become uncool for the players to wear cups anymore. So if you look closely, you will see the cock yeah. moving about, getting crushed, you know, all the things right. that happen. Oh, my but God. They're, but they have no, they don't wear padding anymore. They they're wear basically wearing pajamas. Very little padding. Yeah, no, just tights, I think, actually. <laughs> 
I don't know what they are, really, but they're not padded. Yeah, oh, my God. And that's a weird phenomenon, I thought. You know, why would you – people are stepping on you with cleats and stuff like yeah. that, like kicking, and, you know, it's like you're not wearing anything to protect yourself. I, I, I played paintball. It's a macho thing or something. It is. I played paintball once, and I couldn't believe they didn't have jackstraps for sale. Yeah. I was like, you want me to recreate – with high speed red balls flying through the air yeah, when I have hitting my, in the balls. my high speed red ball. <laughs> yeah. I was just telling I was just saying yesterday at work that I, the last time I'd been um uh horseback riding was like in Monterey like five years ago, something like that. And I wore the wrong stuff and my balls were just Yeah just hitting the saddle. Oh, this God. horse was loving it also. Yeah, he loved and it. by the time I got off I felt like I had been, you know, kicked in the balls like oh. for an hour straight. So rolling, 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 boy! My I couldn't get off rolling. either. Though, yeah, you know? <laughs> that was uh, because that made me think of City Slickers. That plugs your show. There you go. The See, it all perfect. Right? Yeah, there in you fact, go. In fact, I was telling that story to Billy Crystal. Is that right? Because he was talking about City Slickers. So did he sing "Rolling, mean. Rolling, Rolling, Boy"? He, my didn't, he didn't sing it then. No. That seems weird. I think he should take that opportunity. Almost every single time that he every mentioned time City Slickers, he should just go he into it. He should sing that song. Yeah, I'll suggest that to him. I'll suggest that. I will say the most surreal thing about doing the table read for. You yes. was hearing his voice and remembering Monsters Inc. Oh, so, I mean, he's a yes. legend, but like I couldn't really see him. Yeah, so I'm just like I'm just picturing the voice. The, I'm picturing Mikey or whatever. Yeah, name. he's Billy Crystal. He is yeah. a legend. That, that, yeah, and again, we talk about show business and the history of show business. He's one of the last of. That and still remains relevant to the future that's as right. well, and that's the interesting kind of crossroads he's right, at. Right, you know, he's the last of that generation who who he opened for Sammy Davis Jr. Right, you know? that's right. It's it like, goes back. It goes back to that. You yeah, know? and he was also the first gay character on TV on a show called Soap. Wow, you know that was a big hit at the time in the seventies. Right, he played a gay character, and they he said they took him out, they trotted him out at that time. To uh, what he called the Billy Isn't Gay tour, so he had to do stand up, and he was doing all these little TV movies where he was married and heterosexual yeah, because yeah, they yeah. wanted to do everything they could to not make people think he actually was gay. His clothes at, at that, that time, time was just being blown by a yes, woman exactly. and going, "This is what I'm into." <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> How much things have changed? It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, so, um, yeah. He's an interesting person. He's yeah. got a lot of history. That's kind of fun to tap into when you talk about this kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, what a thrill to talk to you, Larry. Thank you for Thank taking you. the time. The way we end the show, for no reason, uh, we have the guests say, keep it crispy. Keep it crispy. I mean, there it is. <laughs> what else is there to say? I know I do. And we're going to die. <laughs> okay. That's right. Well, you know, I think we made that abundantly clear. Very today. clear. But while you're here, <laughs> keep it crispy. That is the title of, your, of this podcast. Yeah. We're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Sure. <laughs> Now leaving Nerdist.com. 